Hey everybody, welcome back to America's Game, episode number 23. I am your host, Eric Vanek. You can find me on Twitter, at NFL, And I am once again joined by my co-host, Scott Connor. Scott, what is going on, man? It's week uh, 15 here. Playoffs are just about starting. Uh, getting ready to uh, get on the grind now for these last three weeks. Yeah, bro. Fantasy playoffs is here, finally. Uh, it seems like the, the year flew by, but... It also took forever to get to the actual playoffs. It seems like we've been waiting for him for the last month or so. And it's it's actually Jordan week. This is episode number 23, Jordan War 23, right? So we know this is Jordan yep. week. So that's why I brought it up. Jordan week, number 23. Uh, but maybe for another reason, too. But yeah, I'm doing well, man. Glad to be back. Another episode. Looking forward to the matchups this weekend. And uh, this should be a fun show. And, and just like your other show says playoffs it's it's a destination we are finally here yeah <laughs> you shit right. on me every week on that on our uh <laughs> patreon show literally you start every single show making fun of that but you know what i'll embrace it i'll embrace it it's my creative it. mind coming out i don't make fun of it i like it i like it but no uh we got our uh, special uh go co-host with us this week it is the man the myth the legend jay rich from the wake up show Jordan, what's going on, man? I'm good, man. I'm good. Yeah, it's funny you say that because I was thinking the same thing. Whenever I listen to the intro for Scott's pod, it makes me laugh just just a little bit. Just a little bit, Scott. But I do have to get on you a little bit because I don't know if this is the case or not. But I'm pretty sure. Have you been on the Start Shit show yet? Uh, I have not, but I, I think See, there's a there's a rumor that I may be on this weekend, actually. So there's a rumor, right? But at the same time, I'm like, yeah, you know, this is like when Kawhi Leonard pretends to play the regular season but the playoffs come all of a sudden he's in right he's ready to play scott sits out the whole regular season doesn't do any start sit shows we're out there grinding ray's been on a show eric does it every week gene's been on ike's been on now all of a sudden scott connor says yeah it's playoff time it's winning time i'm gonna get on the show i'm gonna tell people how to win but to be fair we've seen your records you've shown your receipts of your dynasty leagues and your teams that have made the playoffs record speaks for itself man i i don't hate it but I mean, just coming in for playoffs? Come on. Come on, Scott. Tell the people why you're doing this because I need to know. I need answers. I came onto this show to make fun of Eric a little bit and to get answers from you because we always talk within the Discord. I need to know why now? Why are you now coming on? Is it because it's winning time? Is that why you're coming on the Start State Show? So the real answer would be I remember week one, I was in Vegas and. You know, DD came up with the idea to do a start sit show. And then all of a sudden, Eric was going to be one of the hosts. And then all of a sudden, a weekend, Eric is one of the full time hosts because he's one of the degenerates that's willing to do it every weekend. But I remember he asked me week one, hey, you want to come on? I'm like, nah, man, I'm in a casino. It, it wouldn't work, right? That wasn't the spot. But I promise I'm maybe next week. And then every week it's been maybe <laughs> next week, maybe next week, maybe next week. And truthfully, I'm always usually traveling to go. I go, yeah. I travel about an hour or half hour to watch games with my dad every weekend. So it's like not, it's just not the best time. You know, it's not yeah. that I don't want to be on or I, I wouldn't want to, but it's just, it never works timing wise. But uh, yeah, I'm glad to be able to swoop in at the last minute and take credit for anybody's uh, wins or losses. And you know what, if their losses, not my, not my fault, you hit the nope. button, not me. Although I did want to share something with Eric and I'll, I'll share with you too, Jay Rich. So I've been putting out, I made the mistake on my Patreon member, Eric, on the, the Patreon show we did on Monday, I said, if anybody rolls with Mike White and Brock Purdy, the entire playoffs, week 15, 16, 17, and wins the championship, 
I will pay your buy-in up front, but I get half the winnings if you win. And I've had no lie, like six people reach out to me and go, Hey, I got this league. I, I got Purdy and Mike White on the same team. Uh, you in. And I didn't <laughs> expect that I'd end up, you know, like $700 in on this just for people to fucking start Mike White and Brock Purdy. But I've made four bets now for uh, those potential sit starts. So I got a couple people that are in on it. They're starting those guys. The rule is they have to play them every single week. Quarters, semis, finals, you cannot start other people. So even if you get like Lamar Jackson back, you can't play him. You got to play Brock Purdy over him. So we'll see. That should be fun to follow. But yeah, that's one of those uh, got a little too aggressive and um, people called me out on it. And uh, now I owe X amount of money. So go Mike White, go Brock Purdy. I love the Mike White love. Hell yeah. Love it. Next Max Chubb, some might say. Oh, yeah, I agree. Oh, and this week he's got a hell of a matchup against Detroit. As long as the weather isn't too shitty, I think he should do pretty good in that one as well. I was going to say, Eric, do you want me to point my camera outside, even though it's it's pitch black, so you can't see the snow and freezing rain that's raining down on Toronto right now. So the weather hopefully will clear up, but I would not expect it to be much nicer in New York come game day. Well, I think the real question is, did you bet on the snowfall for today, though? No, unfortunately, FanDuel did not did not let me bet on the snowfall for today. I already cashed the tickets earlier. Gonna have to run it back next year. Maybe I can get uh, a, a following for that. But yeah, the weather, we'll see, man. It's supposed to snow a lot in the next two days. So hopefully they can clear it out. Uh, it doesn't hit New York too badly, but it could be a little bit messy at MetLife on Sunday. Oh, yeah, for sure. And then we got Buffalo and Miami on Saturday night, and that's supposed to be like eight to nine inches of snow for that one. So that'll be fun. Uh, those Miami guys are going to be... Uh, and for hell. <laughs> well, did you see Mike McDaniels' shirt? He was wearing a shirt at practice that said, like, I wish it was cold or something. <laughs> no, pretty I didn't funny. see that. Yeah, was I, I did see where they had, uh, apparently they had heaters on the sideline last week in L.A. because it was in the 50s. Oh, my God. In L.A. So, yeah, exactly. Like, That's you would think that'd be the, one of the few man. places you could play this time of year where you, you have no issues with the temperature or anything like that. So that that should be a fun one to watch because I know uh, – what was it? Apparently, too, I had a throwing session in Maryland, and that's prepared him for playing in Buffalo. What was he <laughs> trying to get tips from his brother Talia? Because I would not want to get those tips if I were to. Uh... Right. I I just saw where I think he said something about how he was able to throw in Maryland earlier this year, and it was cold, and yeah. so that that that's prepared him like he's not worried about being able to throw the ball in the cold. And you know, you compare that to nine inches of snow, and it's at Buffalo too. Like you know, yeah. they're gonna, you know, they know the narrative of him in the cold and Miami in the cold. Like that's gonna be rough. It's gonna be a big game for him to uh, kind of disprove that. Otherwise, he's gonna live with the Jared Goff esque myth the rest of his career until he disproves it, and he's gonna have plenty of opportunities in the AFC East to play in that kind of conditions. Right. Uh, one other thing I wanted to bring up before we get into the bulk of the show, um, Scott, if you want to pull it up on your Twitter, uh, how we did for our leagues this year. So I'll, I'll go over mine first. Um, so out of my redraft and dynasty leagues, not counting FFPC, um, I was in 39 total leagues this year. I made the playoffs in 21 of those 39 leagues. I got eight first round buys out of those 21 playoffs that I did make. Um, and then I also got four locked in 101s for next year out of those 39 leagues. So I got four Bijan Robinsons basically. So uh, not too bad. Uh, hopefully I can make a nice little run here in the playoffs, win some money. You know, this is probably about usual. Usually I, 
I make uh, probably about 26, 27 leagues. So I think a few of those leagues that kind of decided, you know, it's probably better to just to tank it a little bit. So I didn't make as many playoffs as I usually do, but I'm still happy with, with 21. So hopefully I can win some of those uh, big prize pots. But Scott, what did you uh, end up doing this year? Well, you topped me in terms of getting the 101s. I mean, you had what 18 out of 39. You didn't make the playoffs, but you got four 101s out of that. I mean, that's mm-hmm. a shy of making the playoffs. That's actually. And know, one of those is our league that we co-own together. So. Yeah, that, and I only had, so I was 40 out of 57 making the playoffs, 20 out of 40 first round buys, but I only had three 101s and that's out of, would it be 17 leagues? And one of them was ours that we co-own, which we knew we were going to be the 101 from the beginning pretty much. So we were able to kind of stave off some other potential points there. But yeah, I lost a couple 101s in the last week or two, just, and one of them was my own fault. It's my own league. I didn't even put any anti-tanking rules in there. So I, I, without even really looking the the guy that was ahead of me all year, like he was in 11th, I was in 12th the last two weeks. He just set dog shit lineups, you know, and I ended up with a two and two record in the last two weeks because it's double headers and I passed him and we ended up tying and I beat him in most points because he was also, you know, putting up 30 points a week while I was scoring 125, you know? So I, I literally cost myself the 101 in my own league where I didn't have any anti-tanking rules. So yeah, it's been a pretty good year. Uh, it's nice to have those buys, you know. It's nice to say I have at least 20, 20 out of 40 playing next week, whereas a lot of the ones this week, I'm kind of like, eh, it's a 50-50 shot to win. So hopefully you can get, I don't know, half of these into the, the semifinals and then take, you know, 30 or so into the semis and just hope the variance falls the right way. So it was good. We did win another main event. Uh, my partner and IJ won our sixth main event in five years. So it's nice to get, you know, one of those a year at least. Uh, pays for quite a bit of the other leagues that I enter. So that's nice. And uh, yeah, we talked about it last week. You and I fallen short in our main event. I don't, I'm sure you probably heard last week, Jay Rich, but we literally have fallen short of the main event playoffs twice by five points or less. Back yeah, to back that's, years. that's nuts, man. To be that it's, close. And you guys talked about it too. Like the start set decisions all year, you're thinking about one guy or the other, the tight end, the wide receiver, the flex, like, you could always look at it so many different ways, but it's just, that's, that's heartbreaking, man. That's crazy. So it, next year you got to get it then. No excuses. It, it is, but it's almost like, I don't think Eric and I would have changed much of what we did either. Like, yeah, yeah we could have started some players over others. We could have made different draft picks, but like, you know, two of the four, it's tough to make the playoffs because it's four out of 12. It's a short season because yeah. it's only 12 weeks. So I think maybe the only thing we have to do is maybe value the early points a little bit more next year. You know, two of the four slots make it sheerly on points and it's only 12 weeks. So if you can avoid week 13 and week 14 by week players, or actually you could draft yeah. those guys and take the points because you don't hit their bye week, right? It's an extra week, but also maybe focus a little more on early points. You know, we try to build the perfect roster and draft some rookies and, you know, go as extreme as possible with the running backs, but maybe in, Maybe we just are a little more aggressive on early points and just patch it together. Cause you guys see how much variance there is across the season. You can sit there and go, man, this team's good, but I don't know if it's going to be good in week 10. There's going to be stronger teams because they drafted maybe higher upside and whatnot. But then you actually remember what week 10, week 11 feels like. And it's like half of what I thought I knew in week two doesn't even exist. You know, half of it's changed. Half the offenses I thought were going to be good suck. The ones I faded are good. Players I thought were going to stay healthy haven't. Players I thought were going to get injured haven't got hurt. So 
I think just remember that stuff is uh, some advice for us and everybody else next year. Yeah. yeah. Do, Eric, I do want your thoughts on a little bit on something quickly. Um, is regards to the waiver wire, right? Would that cause you guys to be more aggressive on the waiver wire? Because again, injuries impact that season more, be more aggressive on the waiver wire, try to get those guys who will get you those points throughout the season. Because that to me would be a big factor too, is like, yeah, you can kind of try and wait on guys, but with a shorter season, you need those points. So maybe being more aggressive on the waiver wire would also help you to get more points earlier in the season as well. Yeah, especially the way that me and Scott build our teams in in the uh, FFPC. Any running back that comes up that gets a starting job, we got to go hard after. And the one that happened this year that we just didn't even go after in any of our leagues was Deontay Foreman. If we would have got him, we would have probably won him, probably would have definitely been in the playoffs for sure. And probably would have won some more games. We might have even locked ourselves into top record or top points if we would have got Foreman. And then the other one that haunts me a little bit is is from the draft, and I took Cam Akers over Brees Hall. If we would have had Brees Hall just for that for those first five weeks and had his points, we would have definitely been in on points. So that one haunts me too. Yeah, I think it that speaks to something that's uh, really interesting, especially in those shallower redraft leagues. Jay Rich is that the when you build your teams, this cost us a lot in 2020 where we were going a little more running back heavy because that's typically how the FFPC plays. Yeah. Like the, the good running backs go higher because they're a scarce asset. And that's really started to shift over the last couple of years. So now in 2023, I think it's going to be the opposite. People are going to be going like everyone, 11 of the 12 teams in the league are going to be playing hero RB, you know? And so you, you kind of sit there and you think if you're going to build running back heavy, one thing it does is it actually prohibits you from being aggressive on the waiver wire because you think you have enough running back firepower and you know you, you start three of your first six picks are running backs. And by week three, they're all still like living and breathing, right? They haven't gotten hurt. You look at it and you go, do I really want to spend the 650 fab required to pick up, you know, the Elijah Mitchell or whatever it might be off waiver wire? But then you look at your running backs and go, no, you know, I got three stable ones. And then week 10, you don't have any. And you're going, I wish I had that fourth or I wish wish I had that fifth. And that's the advantage when you don't have any. You're like, I have to pick up this guy. If it doesn't work out, it doesn't work out. But it it doesn't prohibit you from making the waiver bid, you know? And it just, when you think about it, what are the odds you're ever going to go if you build four or five running backs in the first 10 rounds? What are the odds you are ever going to blow everything you have on a wide receiver or a a quarterback, you know, like unless it's a couple years ago, you'll see people drop rookie receivers just because they're not producing right away. And then by week nine, they're studs like that does happen, but that's rare. Like it's rare that you have a Michael Pittman or T Higgins that get dropped in their rookie year because they don't produce right away or like Justin Fields got dropped, but those are rare. Like it's rare. And I think people are getting smarter to where, they're going to be less likely to be that loose on the waiver wire. So I don't know. We're going to have to think about it next year because I think we're going to be going up against a lot more people that are literally building the same way as us. So do we revert a little more aggressively to like more running backs and try to shoot for the early points and be like, you know what, if they all get hurt, who cares? We'll patchwork it together later on, but we want those points early. I don't know. Something we'll have to think about and talk about more. Yeah, I think for me – it would be making sure we hit on the tight end. We get a stud tight end and get a stud quarterback and getting those two new positions locked up where we're beating everybody at that, those two positions every week. And then we'll figure out the running backs and receivers. Obviously we're still going to hit receivers hard. 
I think our RB strategy is fine if we get just one guy and then piece together the Jamal Williams, the Tony Pollards, the Pachecos, whoever. But I think getting that stud tight end and that stud quarterback are really important, especially if you hit on them. I mean, Jay Rich, what do you think about in a draft where would you have the balls to take like Kelsey in the first round and then Josh Allen or Jalen Hurts in the second or third? Because that's exactly what Eric's saying. And I do think the top five or six quarterbacks next year are going to go up a couple rounds because I think people are going to clearly see the advantage that they gave versus, you know, the Kirk Cousins, Tom Brady. Like you don't even want to be in that tier. But even if you're the second or third tier, you're still behind by 20% in points. But I mean, could you really start a draft with like going Travis Kelsey, Jalen Hurts, and then literally having no running backs or receivers until round three? Doesn't that feel like a little bit overkill or really risky if, if one of those guys doesn't work out. It feels risky for sure. But I think, um, you know, you talked about hero running back. I think we might sort of see kind of a hero quarterback approach, right? Where you are using that extra draft capital to really spend up on a quarterback. And we talk about it in dynasty, how there's like seven quarterbacks we want. And then the rest of them, we want a second quarterback, but we don't really want those guys. We don't want to spend up for them. So you kind of just find a guy that maybe fits your build and you, and you work within the constructions of the draft. But in these types of drafts, like having a Jalen Hurts or a Josh Allen or Patrick Mahomes, like we've seen it is an advantage by like four or five points a week at times. And then obviously there's still the boom weeks that those guys have. So I think we may see people start to make that switch like early years, um, especially the last few years. We've seen first quarterback usually is around round three or so in some of these drafts. I'm not sure if it's different in FFPC, but round usually around round three is when you see those guys go. I think we could see them creep into the second round. Like I really do, because again, that advantage, if people want to go that build and you're talking about being different, taking quarterback that early would be pretty different. I don't know about a quarterback and the tight end. That may be a little too different. You know, we talk about things like roster construction. You want to be different and and buck the trend without, you know, going crazy. So both may be crazy. But I think if you did want to go a quarterback in like the second round, take your top quarterback. But the problem is, right, is they still have to hit. And if you take a top receiver, he's probably going to hit. Top running back, probably going to hit unless they get hurt. And so the risk of all those guys is is a bit higher. But if you hit on a Kelsey or you hit on, you know, a Hurts as the third quarterback, fourth quarterback, it's all about trying to find the right guy. But I think, to your point, we will see probably three, maybe four quarterbacks creep up in ADP going into next season. And I think with the tight ends, it's just Kelsey and, and Andrews. There's only two of them. The rest of them I'm not spending up that high for. So, you know, if you don't get Kelsey, then oh well, you don't get him, you know, basically. So you're n- you're not going to be taking that big of a risk if you don't get him. You know, it's not like you're going to reach for George Kittle or Darren Waller up that high. You know, it's, it's only two two guys and that's it. If the, Once they're gone, then, oh, well, I'm just going to pick somebody later on. And that goes back to the warp discussion. Like, you just, you just answered your own question with Kelsey. Like, it's really only him. I mean, Andrew's warp has dropped significantly in the last, like, six weeks to the point where – you know, if you're telling me I got to spend a third round pick on Andrews versus a fifth round pick on Dalton Schultz or something like that, it's probably not that big of a difference. Now, I think Andrews is better. He has five years of elite production already since he was a rookie. So I I don't think necessarily – he honestly, he's probably one of the guys that you're going to be willing to draft at tight end two next year. But at the price he's going to go, it's going to – he's probably lost like a round in ADP because of how he's performed the, the last half of this year. So he'll probably be one of the guys we have a lot of going like, okay, I can try and take the same shot on the same build, but not have to use a first round pick on him. I can probably get Andrews 
second, maybe third in FFPC, and it's probably tight end two off the board. But yeah, I think that's big because if you take a shot at those type of teams and it misses, those those are the type of teams that are dead, right? Like if you would have done it this year with Andrews and Lamar Jackson, I know there were injuries and yeah. stuff involved, but if you built that way, you were looking good for like a month. But there, I guarantee you, teams that took those two in the first five rounds are they're they're not playing right now. You know, because right. they lost too much equity at the other spots. So it should be interesting. I think the, the one thing that we did write that I did not see a lot of people do, maybe you could uh, attest to this being in Vegas, but we took Justin Jefferson number one overall over Jonathan Taylor, McCaffrey, all the running backs and other receivers. Um, we hit on that one. I think we smashed that one for sure. And I, I'm wondering if that trend continues. Do you think – you know, people would take Jefferson and Chase 101 next year over uh, Taylor, McCaffrey, or whoever the running back is? I I do, uh, and I think this year is only going to make it even more stronger to do it next year because, I mean, I've talked about it a couple times, but the running back scoring is, it's down, right? Like, there's only three players in the whole league that are scoring more than 20 points, and there's none that are over 23 a game. And 23 a game is when you start getting into like the true, like if I had this guy, he carried my team range, you know, 20 points per game is really good compared to the median, but it's not like blowing up your league. And the other thing is there's multiple running backs that people think can hit the 20 points per game. And those aren't always the ones that do it. So I just think there's a lot of risk. Like even if you miss on Jefferson and you took chase or Cooper cup or Stefan Diggs, you Tyreek Hill, like Maybe you didn't get the guy, but you got one that's 90% of that, you know, and it's a little safer. So I think that's going to be popular next year to the point where, what do you think, Eric, next year besides Kelsey, seven receivers in the first round, you think, at least? Yeah, I would probably think so. I'm trying to I mean, you got to think, you got to figure Tyreek Adams might still be going in the first. Lamb could jump into the first. AJ you know, Brown could Jefferson Chase Brown Cup. I mean, I don't even know about guys like Cup and Diggs, Adams because yeah. they're old, but Diggs. I mean, that's. I think there could be seven or eight receivers, and people just go, you know what? I'm going to take my running backs in the second or third. Hope I hit on you know the the guy that's a, a round depressed compared to Jonathan Taylor and Christian McCaffrey, Austin Eckler. You know, I'll, I'll take the guy around later and hope I hit 19 mm-hmm. points per game instead of 21. So it should be interesting. And a and a lot too depends on where these guys have a their bye week too i mean that was the whole reason we didn't take mccaffrey and taylor because they had round 13 and 14 buys originally um so that that was one of the reasons we took jefferson pretty easily there just because we wanted to avoid that buy so you yeah i think it'll be interesting just pray that jefferson or chase or whoever don't have a round 13 or 14 buy next year yeah so how about you jay rich how many uh playoffs did you make in your leagues <laughs> I was hoping you didn't ask because then I have to bring up the fact that Ray just kicked my ass um, with my Eagles stack to knock me out of the playoffs in the first round. But um, I don't not. I think I probably I have about 10 leagues. I think I only made the playoffs in three of them. I have a couple tankers, though. I got one one oh one. It was funny, too, because in that league, I was playing the second, like the 11th place team. And he had like AJ Brown on his bench and like a bunch of other good players. And so I called him out in the public chat. I was like, bro, are you really going to bench these guys against me? When knowing that I have like Brees Hall on IR, Travis Etienne was like injured at the time. The only player I basically had was Justin Herbert. And obviously it was like a single QB league. So he wasn't doing a ton for me anyways. And he was hurt. So eventually he ended up pulling all the starters in and that basically locked in my one-on-one. So I will be adding nice. Bijan Robinson to that squad. But yeah, it's a, 
tough sled for me this year. A lot of teams in the middle that I got to rework their rosters a little bit, but hopefully can come up with a chip in one. But one league, I have a really strong team, but my quarterbacks are Russ and Deshaun Watson. And so, like, I get Deshaun Watson back. He's maybe back. And then now Russ is hurt. So now I'm deciding if I slide in Brock Purdy tonight. I mean, I'm waiting to see if he's still even active over Russ because, again, I need to make that decision today. Otherwise, I'm playing Sam Darnold at my QB2 slot instead. Yeah, I think Purdy's going to play. I'm almost positive. but yeah, I think he... Russ is going to play. Oh, interesting. Yeah, but would you? Pre- so would you play Russ over Purdy, though? I have been trying to avoid this game from a quarterback standpoint. I don't have any Geno Smith in Dynasty, but I don't yeah. really want to play Purdy only because I, I do wonder it. It's a short, it's a short week. It's on the road. Seattle must win. It just feels like one of those games where it's a, it's a Brock Purdy game manager game. And if he doesn't yeah. get, if he's not involved in two of the touch, the two touchdowns they score, I'm just worried that it could be 20 to 14 and they have two rushing touchdowns and he just has empty yardage. And then I'm sitting there going like, I wish I would have played any active quarterback on Saturday or Sunday over him. Cause I have a couple just like that. I have a Russ over Purdy. Um, I have a Tyler Huntley over Purdy, which I'd, I'd rather play Huntley if I know he's playing. Cause I think he has a yeah. better matchup, but you know, that's another guy in concussion protocol that just cleared today. So I didn't change it until three hours ago. So it's tough, man. Sometimes you can just say, like, you know, you just play the guy that's playing. Right. Like, I'd play Ross over him, but I wouldn't play Darnold over him. So you got to <laughs> just pull the trigger. You know, it's tough. Right. And I'm I'm looking at uh, Bomb Squad too as well. You're you're the twelve and two, the one seed right now as well. Yeah. And that one. Well, that team. First round bye. I need the first round bye, man. That team's shaky. Lost Cup. Ha- didn't have Mike Williams for weeks. Like. Aaron Rodgers stinks. I, I I can't believe I traded you Juju in a second for Aaron Rodgers. I thought it was oh, such it a good was, deal. It was a first. It was, Juju was it a first? first? Yeah. No. Yeah, I have your first. Jay Rich. Why didn't you hey, move? Scott. Why didn't you move but, Cooper Cup? So this is a, this is an auction league, right? I, I faded quarterback entirely. Loaded squad. Cooper Cup. Uh, AJ Brown. Tyree Kill. Like loaded up receiver. Yeah. Running backs are kind of shaky. Ended up trading Saquon Barkley, I think, to get. Russell Wilson uh, to complete my Tyler Lockett, Russell Wilson stack in the off season traded uh, Juju and a first to go get um, what is it? Aaron Rodgers And I had Devonte Adams too. So I also Devontae on the squad. So to get that stack, what do you know? Both these stacks get blown up in the off season by trades. And all of a sudden I'm standing there like, what the hell happened to my team? But then Aaron Rodgers stinks. Russ is awful. Like I can't even find a quarterback to play half the time. It's been, it's been bad. Like my team probably should be scoring, in that league, around 300 points a week if everyone was healthy and playing like even average, but it's it's been awful. They've been drastically underperforming week after week. The, the irony is you may end up one of the few teams that wins a ship if you can bring it home with Russ and Aaron Rodgers. Yeah. It, There's it, a lot it, of people it, with those two carried, that are going to be like, I never even got Tyreek there. Tyreek and A.J. Brown. It, literally, it's carried by them. Like th- this past week, Tyreek still got me like 35 points. A.J. Brown got me like almost 50. Like it's high scoring. But yeah, when you have those studs that produce, it gets you a ton of points. And I'm hoping Alvin Kamara with uh, Mark Ingram finally hurt. Maybe he can get a bell cow workload and get some points from me finally. Can you still trade? No. Trading, I, I think, think, is yeah, close. I don't have – I traded away – Everything I have, Scott. The only asset I have that's really tradable is AJ Brown. He, if if something happened, I'd have to move him. 
and down tier them or move them for whatever because it's like everything else on my team is old. Gotcha. Yeah, this is a league where I got a bunch of quarterbacks. So I had going into the season, I had Watson, I had Fields, I had Garoppolo, I had Mariota, I had Trubisky. Um, this is that one league, Scott, where I traded uh, Watson right the day that he got uh, unsuspended or whatever. Or, or Like the ruling? Yeah, the ruling came out, um, and I traded him Watson, and I got Trevor Lawrence, a first and a second. So that, you know, that one worked out for me, I think. Um, I ended up trading Fields for Cousins and something earlier on in the year. This is when Fields was terrible like early on so kind of regret that but at least cousins hasn't been too bad i ended up trading uh the first that i got from jay rich when i gave him uh a, a rod for juju and a first i traded that first to ray to get Ramondre stevenson and i think jeff wilson uh so jeff wilson's kind of screwed me here the last couple weeks but hopefully stevenson gets healthy and can use him but i yeah i, I made the playoffs as i think the five seed i'm going or four seed i'm sorry i'm going up against evan this week so hopefully i can beat him and then it might be me and you next week jay rich if uh if yeah i mean evan's wins. does evan have a roster i played him last week he had an empty roster spot in a best ball league because he had so many injuries yeah it's saying that he's projected to beat me by quite a bit but let's look at his team yeah he's got well he's got waller coming back edward solaire oh, yeah. Tannehill, Aaron Jones, Keenan Allen, Eckler, Mixon, Mike Evans, Derek Carr. Yeah, he's missing quarterbacks pretty bad. He's got Chubb. Yeah, he's got a lot of guys on IR that are missing. Sutton, Collins, Ertz, Tyler Boyd. Yeah, so I might I might have a good shot at it, uh, winning. This and, and this league has no IR slots at yeah. all. So, yeah. like, there's you'd have a great player on IR, and there's nothing you can do about it. Can't pick anybody up to try and replace them, like, you're just stuck with those guys. It's terrible. Yeah, because I've had Kyle Pitts on IR for all year. Khalil Herbert's been on IR the last couple weeks. I picked up Chris Moore last week. That was a huge one for me. He was in my lineup. I think he scored like 30-something points. Yeah, that nuance, especially in best ball, it, it, managing your IR spots, if there's a taxi squad, like all that stuff matters in terms of how you value things because I assume in that league you get a guy that gets injured for the season and – their value not only plummets because they're injured, but it plummets because it's costing you. It's ta- you're taking a zero. You're accepting a zero if you keep, you know, Cooper Cup. Yeah, on your Cooper team. Cup. I've had Mike Williams on IR. Um, I mean, I had, I've had Michael Thomas on IR the whole time. I was I was contemplating trading him or dropping him for somebody for some points. Like it's it's wild. So what's man. it? I've never been in one like that. That's best ball and has no IR. What is the what is the feel if a guy like Michael Thomas goes out? Not Cup, obviously, because I think there's someone that would trade for him regardless. But like a guy like Michael Thomas, you could see people saying like, "I don't even want him." Like nobody with a contending team wants him because he's he's a zero that doesn't have a ton of like future dynasty value anyway. Yeah. But like, could you? Can you? Is it even hard to get a, you know, a McCole Hardman type for him at that point? I remember I I had him on the trade block and it was like I might have gotten off of like a Kendrick Bourne, like so again, a body basically right yeah like maybe gets me ten points one week of the season and that's if he even if they even make my lineup right because it, that's what's tough is that yeah you want the depth and the depth is great but it's like even a guy like DeAndre Carter is someone I've had on my roster for a few weeks because again Mike Williams been hurt Keenan Allen been hurt but now he's like 
kind of useless because he's not really making my roster, but he's probably a little bit better than the waiver wire. So it's, it's a weird, weird spot to be in for sure. Yeah. Like I have Mariota and I'm dropping him this week. So, you know, he's just useless to me, even though really? it's a quarterback, I'm going to have to drop Mariota. Yeah. You can have him. Yeah. Go ahead, I mean, Raiders going to start, so there's no yeah. point having Mariota on your roster. Yeah. I had to drop Trubisky after he lost his job. So, um, I mean, I kind of knew that stuff was going to happen. It's not like I was planning on having, you know, Trubisky as a locked in starter every week, but you know, you just got to drop those guys. If they're not giving you any points, like if Darren Waller is going to start this week, I might as well just drop Moreau. He's worthless and find another tight end. So, all right, well, let's get back um, into the meat of the show. What we were really going to talk about here. So last week we promised uh, we were going to go over the wide receivers and tight ends from Mel Kuyper's big board. Uh, we did the quarterbacks and running backs last week, gave our thoughts on those guys. So we just wanted to go through the wide receivers and tight ends. And just remember, this is kind of what Mel Kuyper's hearing from the scouts and people that he's talking to about who are some of the top 10 at each position, pretty much, for all these positions on here. So first off for the wide receivers, he's got JSN from The Ohio State as the number one receiver, which is a little shocking uh, from mock drafts that I've seen and people talking about him that he might not even be a first-round pick. So I think he will be ultimately, but kind of shocking that he's the number one guy. Quinton Johnson, number two from TCU. Jordan Addison from USC. Zay Flowers from Boston College. We were all kind of shocked to see that he was that high. Uh, Josh Downs, number five, from North Carolina. Six is Jalen Hyatt from Tennessee. Seven, Charlie Jones from Purdue. He'll be at the Senior Bowl, so that's definitely a guy I want to watch during Senior Bowl practices on TV. Cedric Tillman, another guy that I like from Tennessee as well. Rasheed Rice from SMU. And Dontavian Wicks from Virginia, another guy that'll... Uh, be at the senior bowl as well. So any of these guys you guys want to highlight? Well, I mean, the names are probably all ones you've heard of for the most part. I mean, pretty much everyone you would have thought of is somewhere, either it's in the just missed or in the top 10. Uh, But I looked at um, Shane Hallam put out another mock draft the other day where he actually put landing spots and draft capital. And he has uh, eight receivers going in the top 50. And I don't think that's wrong. I think that's probably how the NFL is going to view the receiver position. It's too important in the NFL to not take guys in this range. And that's been the the thing where Ray and I have seen so different with this class is I, you know, he'll come out and say, this is not a good receiver class, right? Like the wide receiver four, five, six, seven in this class compared to the last couple, they're not as good yet we're going to have to wrestle with the fact that somebody is going to take like Zay flowers in the first 50, 50, 60 picks but you're going to look at his profile and you're going to go, okay, I don't know if this guy's that good. You know, he might've been tracking with what a third or fourth round receiver was a couple classes ago, but he's going in the mid second, you know, same with Rasheed Rice. Like a lot of people didn't even know who he was. And it's like, everybody I've seen has him in the first round, the Tennessee guys. I know there's questions about both the Tennessee guys in terms of how they'll actually translate to the NFL. But, you know, Shane has Tillman going in the, in the forties and Jalen Hyatt going in the first round. It's like, there's going to be receivers. There's going to be these so-called threshold receivers that whether they're good or not, their dynasty value is going to be top 50 or better at the position as soon as they enter the league. I mean, we, we all know that regardless of who the player is, if they're at first round or even a top 50 NFL pick, 
they immediately are going to jump over the last year's guys that were in that range, right? Like there, people are going to prefer those guys over Sky Moore. People are going to prefer those guys over the Michael Gallups, Curtis Samuels, Tyler Boyds, right? You know, like those guys are just going to fall because people are going to say, well, give me the shot at something better when I already think I know what I have. So these guys are going to have value. They're going to have like high startup value. They're going to have top 50 value at the position. But then you have to wrestle with the fact, you know, if I ask Jay Rich, like is, you know, Cedric Tillman better than Michael Gallup? And you might go, I'm not sure, but I bet you'd rather have Cedric Tillman if he goes in the early second round, right? Just from an asset standpoint. So whether you think the players are good or not, what sticks out to me is the demand for the position in the NFL combined with the fact the wide receiver class next year in free agency is bad because a lot of these teams are keeping these receivers. Now you have, you have teams that won't let a receiver go and the team will just pay him 20 million. Cause we can't afford to let the Deontay Johnson's of the world hit free agency because they're hard to find. So I think we're going to have a, a weird class where it's like the pedigree and the profiles of the receivers are not that good historically. Yet we're going to have to wrestle with the fact that, dude, this guy just took Rasheed Rice in the first round. Like he's got to be a top 12 dynasty pick. So should be fun. It's going to be another class that we're not going to love, but they're going to get the draft capital. So that's my takeaway. And Jay Rich, what about you? So Scott, I think it's interesting you say that, right? Because it's the the analysis of, well, well, how does the profile actually stack up versus the demand? And your whole point is, well, the demand is going to outweigh the profile and the talent. And that's kind of what, unfortunately, I think maybe you're right. Like I see three first round profiles and Todd McShay is out here on ESPN talking about how JSN isn't working hard, isn't practicing, doesn't want to play for the team and all these things. And he may be a first, probably a second round pick, but out of nowhere, you see a few, like a few days before that Kuiper saying JSN is number one wide receiver. And that's like nothing we've been hearing at all. So that alone is already the most striking part of this whole situation. But then you get past wide receiver three and you see Zay Flowers, Josh Downs, Jalen Hyatt, Charlie Jones, who most people probably even know Devon, Dontavian Wicks, who people wouldn't know unless they're betting on Brandon Armstrong's passing yards overs at Virginia because he's awful. But you look at these guys and you say, well, who's wide receiver four? And it really doesn't matter because I think we're not going to know that until the actual process plays itself out, whether it's downs, whether it's Hyatt with the draft capital, whether it's Tillman with the draft capital, Rasheed Rice with the draft capital, senior bowl combine, all these things are going to kind of move these guys around. And I think that's the bigger takeaway here is that for for people who want to trade for these back end first round picks, we're talking about the running backs and how there'll be probably a lot of running backs in that range, but trying to pick out the wide receiver four, five, six in this class is going to be very difficult to do. And you're better off probably trying to choose some guy in the middle. And like Scott's kind of saying, leaning on that draft capital to help you make that decision. Don't just take a guy who's in a good situation, maybe has some talent. That's how you end up with the David Bells and the Sky Moors, who you think could be good, who have some draft capital but aren't. Just lean on the draft capital fully and Maybe we don't fade the Christian Watsons this year, right? Maybe we don't fade the Brandon Ayukes because they go to San Francisco and we don't really believe in Brandon Ayuk. Like we see it every year. And maybe you just take that receiver because he was drafted in the first round. And maybe it's just that simple. Now, Eric, I don't know what your thoughts are on that, but that's just kind of how I see this class and how I'm probably going to approach come draft season if I'm not looking at the running backs or a lot of the running backs in that kind of tier two, tier three are already gone. Yeah, no, I, I agree with most of what you said there. I'm, these wide receivers, they just keep coming in and we just keep moving them all up our rankings and the older guys just keep falling and falling in. But there's so many of them. There's going to be like 
80 wide receivers in the NFL that you're like, okay, I can roster this guy. Like, I feel comfortable having him on a roster. So, I mean, there's just an abundance of wide receivers coming in, and they're not falling off as fast as we're accumulating and getting them into the league every single year. So there's just so many wide receivers. you can They're easily replaceable. One of the easiest and most replaceable position in, in fantasy is the wide receiver spot. So if somebody just wants a wide receiver from you and that's holding up the deal or whatnot, you know, just go ahead and do the deal because it's so easy to replace wide receivers. I think one of my biggest ones was... JSN is number one, and there's just been so much, like, negative talk about him. Like, obviously, he hasn't played much this year. He's only a slot guy. Can he play outside? All that kind of stuff about JSN. And, you know, I've only heard good stuff about Quinton Johnson, uh, the way he's come on here the last second half. Like, when I watched or just looked at his stats early on, like, he was, like, two for 14, one for 10. I'm like, what the hell is this guy? So I don't know what got into him there at the end, but he's one of the top prospects. I know I was listening to a podcast last night. Uh, one of Ray's uh, running mates over at TDN, Keith Sanchez, he had Quinton Johnson, I think at four to the Chicago Bears in his mock draft. So that would be interesting if he went that high. I don't know if any of these receivers... Uh, deserved to go in the top five, but if that happened, that would be interesting. I think my favorite wide receiver, though, was Jordan Addison. I think if he would have been healthy the whole year before his ankle injury there, I think Addison probably would have easily been the number one wide receiver in this class. So I think I'm kind of still going that way as well. I probably would have Addison as the number one wide receiver in this class. So what do you guys think of that and, and JSN a little bit? I mean, if you if you just and this is what we talked about a couple of weeks ago when we had Shane on, if you just track what a first and second round dynasty profile looks like and then you compare that with where the draft capital is going to be. So let's just assume we get eight receivers in the top 50. We get another 10 running backs in the first 70, 75 picks. And whether you think Anthony Richardson or Will Levis are good, they're going to go in the top 20. So all of a sudden, I've just told you we have eight receivers, 10 running backs, four quarterbacks, two tight ends in the range where you're like, okay, I can justify once you adjust for landing spot, crowdsourcing the profile. Cause there's always guys where you go, man, I'm going to draft that guy at the two Oh one, not because I think he's good, but because everyone else loves him. So I'm going to take the George Pickens or sky Moore. Like I want that on my team because I have an asset that other people will want as the hype builds, as OTAs happen and stuff. But I think that's going to be the theme of this class. Is and, and Ray's talked about this. If I have the 103, 104, 105, 106, 107, I don't give a shit which one I have. Because I know all the way down into probably the mid to late second round, I'm going to get a profile. Forget the name. Forget any of that stuff. I'm going to get a receiver that went in the top 50. I'm going to get a running back that went in the top 70. I'm going to get a quarterback that went in the first round. There's going to be guys like that available at 207. Might not be the one you want. It might be the bottom end of, you know, the inventory that's left. But the profile is going to be way better than it was the last couple of years. Last couple of years, the draft, especially the 2021 draft, the COVID draft, it dropped off like a rock to where it was like Amari Rogers was going at the end of the second. You know, like, and even last year's class dropped off like a rock when you got to a certain point. That's not going to be the case this year. But I also don't know if I want to just sit there and have a bunch of these late firsts and seconds because I don't think the demand is going to be there for the players. 
I think the guy at the 110 is going to go, it's no different than being at the 201. You know, and especially if you have a lot of leagues like we do, like I almost will want to diversify in those ranges anyway. So what 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 am I going to actually have? What am I going to have if I have a bunch of 109, 110, 111, 112, 201, 202 type of picks? So I think those are also the picks where it's like, okay, what's the line that you draw? Do you trade those away right now? If you can get yourself, uh, you know, Hollywood Brown or DJ Moore, do you do it for one of those? Or do you wait and you know you're going to get Jalen Hyatt first round pick at one of those spots? Which one would you rather have? So I think it's, it's a question of also how you use those picks. You don't want to be too overweight, but you also know like, man, there might be someone in my league that loves the receiver profile that's there. And, and we'll just give you straight up, you know, Marquise Brown for that guy. Even though I'm sitting here going, man, I think Marquise Brown's really good. He might be the wide receiver two in this class. But so it's just managing those types of picks because I do think there's going to be a lot of flat ranges and dead tiers where people don't want to pay into them at a premium, but they want the picks. Like I'll buy them at the square price, but I'm not overpaying to get one name over the other. Yeah, and that's what I did a lot. Um this past season, I had the 109 in a couple spots. Obviously, you had the two running backs in Brees and Walker. You had the five wide receivers, and you had Kenny Pickett. We're usually going in the top eight of super flexes. And 109, instead of just taking like another share of pickings or whatever wide receiver there, I ended up just trading that 109 straight up, and I traded one for Cortland Sutton and one for Chase Claypool straight up. So, I mean, the Claypool one probably didn't work out as well. Cortland Sutton was doing okay there for a while before he got hurt. But, yeah, I'm still willing to take kind of risks like that, if, especially if the name gets better like you were just talking about. If I can get Hollywood Brown, DJ Moore, Deontay Johnson, players like that for the 109, you know, and it's Jalen Hyatt's and, you know, some of these other guys that we just mentioned, if um, JSN falls there or Quentin Johnston, Jordan Addison, whoever, you know, I might just take the – the veteran that I know that's good, like DJ Moore or Hollywood Brown, something like that. So that's something that that I've done, and I'm sure once we get closer to the draft season, we'll talk about that more for sure. Well, it's interesting because you just brought up those names. I was just going to ask Jay Rich this because you're going to see people that go, all right, so Jay, let's say you have the 109. You already kind of know that there's going to be a profile there that's going to be very strong, right? Yeah. You also know you have the flexibility to go, oh, Will Levis could be there. A running back could be there. A receiver could be there. So you have the flexibility of going in multiple directions. But I think a lot of people also are going to realize that how how volatile that pick could be. But Eric just mentioned two names where if you would have traded a late first last year, Chase Claypool or Cortland Sutton, like those are going to be the types of names that people go, man, I can't give up the proven guy. You know, you put your 109 on the block and someone goes, the best I'm going to give you, Jay Rich, is Christian Kirk. And you're like, eh there's a lot better of a chance that Christian Kirk ends up like Chase Claypool or Cortland Sutton, where he's just a guy. Yeah. He's there. I know he's startable best ball. He's going to fire four or five times a year, but wouldn't you rather have that golden ticket that could get cashed in for a lot more equity down the line, or at least be a lot more flexible. And that's what I struggle with. Like people offer you those. That's the type of offer you're going to get. It's going to be the 26, 27 year old receiver that hasn't had, elite production in the past, but you could squint and go, man, Cortland Sutton, I thought he might be a wide receiver one next last year, you know, getting Russ and, you know, look what he did in 2019. Like you're just squinting and saying, look what he could be. Yeah. It really is probably an 80% chance or more that he settles in the 
okay, he's a solid receiver range. And you'd almost always rather just have the draft pick or the young guy at that point. Because I think you have a lot more outs in terms of what what time can do for you if you just hold that asset until the right time. Yeah, I mean, you made a lot of good points there about the asset, right? Who Who is the asset? Who are these players we're targeting here? Because how I dynasty a lot of the times, and people, some people get it, some people don't, is I love to feed off of the energy in the dynasty community. And what I mean by that is I love a player like George Pickens because he doesn't lose value. People love George Pickens. You could trade George Pickens for anything the moment he makes one catch. And those are the players that for me are so difficult to value at times because I don't want to sell them because I know that it just takes one more play and one more play and one more play. And then conversely, you have players, doesn't matter how much they produce. You said Christian Kirk. Christian Kirk's having a phenomenal season. Oh man, but when Calvin Ridley gets in there, there's no way. And oh, then what happens to Zay Jones? He's worthless. Sell him in Dynasty. And you talked about how he may be a great buy because while he's a wide receiver three, he may have wide receiver two weeks. He may still be startable, but guys will be completely out on those players. And understanding that pulse on the community is so important. And I think going into this draft season specifically, understanding how people feel about these players. Quinn Johnson going to run 4-4. Guaranteed 6'4, 4'4, 40-inch vertical, probably a 12-foot broad jump. People are gonna fall in love with Quentin Johnson, call him the next DK Metcalf. What does that do for his value? It's gonna skyrocket. If you take him in a draft, he's gonna hold value no matter what happens because he is just a freak. And he's very few guys you can say about that. And that's why I was talking about the receivers in particular. They're all kind of just guys. Hyatt may be really fast, Tilden may be a great possession guy, Rasheed Rice, mega producer. And you can make a case, but what Ray said over and over is every one of these players, regardless of position, really outside of running back, especially at quarterback, they all have their holes. They all have their flaws. And so it's which guy has the fewest flaws, which guys community like the best. And that's where I struggle because for multiple reasons, like Christian Watson didn't love the profile. The community wasn't really sold on him. So I was like, what's the point? I'll take a Sky Moore who's in Kansas City who everyone loves. I'll take a George Pickens who everyone loves in the Steelers. I'll take a Jahan Dotson who's a first round pick. But Christian Watson was a guy that people didn't like, but I probably should have gotten more of. So trying to figure that out with this class, I think we're just going to have to see more from them. See the senior bowl, see the combine, see who do people say, oh, this is my wide receiver one when it's not Quentin Johnson or JSN or Jordan Addison, because those guys are locked in their studs. It's figuring out who the guys are after that. That will be the most difficult part. But I think if we do it right, if we do it correctly, and as Scott will say, if we talk about tight ends, avoid the Michael Mayers of the world in the first round then we'll be very successful in this rookie draft season. But I think we'll be navigating that tier two, tier three of wide receiver that will give you the most success this year. And I think that'll be the hardest part. No, all good points. Yeah, I'm interested to see the Quentin Johnson stuff at the combine. If he, Even if he does test, I mean, who knows? He might not even test. He's an but... alien, bro. It's just, it's yeah. insane what he's going to do. I, I think just what threw me off on him was just how inconsistent he was at the beginning of the year. I don't know if that was, I mean, obviously he's playing with Max Duggan. He's just a shitty quarterback, but... <laughs> Um, I don't know if that second, happened. second in the Heisman voting though. Don't talk too much shit about Max Duggan. Yeah. Yeah. I, I th- honestly, Eric, I think it's just the system. You know, you don't need him. Right. You don't really need him to do a lot. Like we saw with Butte too. Butte, same situation. I mean, he obviously went back to college, but they didn't do a lot. Got outplayed by Malik neighbors, all these things. Johnson, he just didn't do a ton. And all of a sudden they were like, man, we should probably use this guy. And once they decided to use him, he was great. And, and so I think that's the biggest thing. And if you're an NFL team, the biggest thing to remember with those teams is that, you see a guy like Will Levis and he's in people's top five and you're like, man, I know Scott loves him, but he stinks. Like the production's not there. It doesn't look good. The offensive line's bad, but it's just, 
He doesn't inspire confidence in me to say he deserves to be a top 10 pick, but it's because the NFL teams aren't drafting players based off how they produce, how they rank in the Heisman voting. It's the traits that translate to the NFL. And I think that's the thing you need to remember going into the season is that they may love JSN. Maybe it's because he's a complete receiver who can step in and be basically Chris Olave number two. And they saw the success those players had at the next level. And you can't say that about a receiver from TCU who wasn't coached by Ron Heartline or even Jordan Addison coming out of USC coached by Lincoln Riley and all those guys. So I, I can see the case why we see these rankings the way they are, but it doesn't mean that's how they're going to end up in rookie drafts, but it's something to remember for sure. Right. And then just to piggyback off of Doug, and I remember watching Jason White win a fucking Heisman. He went undrafted. <laughs> so it can't happen. Um, all right, so let's go into uh, the tight ends here. Uh, Michael Mayer, no- Notre Dame, obviously number one, pretty easy. He's been talked about as a pretty much locked-in first-round pick. Uh, number two, Tucker Craft, South Dakota State, same spot where Dallas Goddard came from. Luke Musgrave from Oregon State, another guy that's gotten a lot of uh, hype lately. Dalton Kincaid, one that I really like. I know Ray really likes as well. Um, that guy's a, a, going to be an offensive weapon, so really like Dalton Kincaid. Sam Laporta, if he does come out uh, from Iowa. Darnell Washington from Georgia, the big 6'8 monster tight end. Davis Allen from Clemson. Cameron Latou from Alabama. Will Mallory from the U and Luke Schoonmaker from Michigan. So on this list, obviously I, I talked about Kincaid there a little bit. Uh, Michael Mayer has been getting a lot of buzz. Tucker Kraft, a small school tight end, you know, really, really good athlete. He was obviously shouldn't have been there, but he dominated there like he should. I think Tucker Kraft is going to be a top 50 draft pick. Uh, Darnell Washington, we've seen. Dane Brugler, a couple other guys have him in their first round as well. And I think Dalton Kincaid is definitely going to have a shot to go in the first round. So what do you guys think about with this draft class? Like last year, we weren't taking tight end. I think Trey McBride was like end of the second round type of pick. We might legit have four or five tight ends that go in the top 60 picks this year. So are you guys going to be valuing these tight ends a little bit more? Or is it going to be league specific? So I'm going to have to do a, a kind of a revamp on deep dives on tight ends because this year's definitely given us some new information to work with. Uh, but while you were given off that list, I went back and looked at, so of the 2022 class, Jelani Woods, Daniel Bellinger, Peyton Hendershot, Trey McBride, Greg Dulcich. Jake Ferguson. Those, well, no, just those five. Okay. They're, Jake Ferguson didn't have a complete profile. A couple others didn't as well. Okay. But the one thing I think I'm going to adjust for is I probably need to be a little more aggressive on sticking to just the athletic tight ends. All those guys had RAS scores over eight. Now, the one thing I didn't account for is that the draft capital does matter to an extent in terms of the draft capital might predict that a guy's going to get opportunity a little quicker. So I think I'm, I used to be, I don't care about draft capital for tight ends because I don't expect them. A lot of times a team will take a tight end in the third round. They have a starter profile, but they're behind like two guys that are better than them. They're clearly not going to push that guy out of the way in year one and start. And I used to be like, oh, well, that's kind of foolish to fade a good tight end prospect because he's behind like Zach Ertz, you know, because really I don't expect anything till year three. Vice versa, people overvalued tight ends that got certain landing spots because they figure, okay, well, 
this tight end goes in the fifth round, but he's athletic. The team's going to have no choice but to start it. Probably not. The team isn't drafting a tight end in the fifth round so that he can become, you know, Travis Kelsey, you know? So I do think I need to adjust a little bit, but I also think that, you know, there's some busts on this list. The number three Raz score tight end, Jamal Pettigrew. You heard of him, Jay Rich? No. Honestly, <laughs> and you know what? He signed with the Rams out of camp, and guess what? He never even made the roster. Uh, Andrew Ogletree flashed in preseason with the Colts, yeah. but tore his ACL. Then there's a couple others I love. Lucas Kroll went to the Saints. Super athletic. Nick Muse ended up getting cut. Ended up with the Vikings. Super athletic. Like there, There's other guys where you look and you're like, dude, this guy's 6'5", 260, and he has a 9'4", RAS score. But then he goes in the seventh round and doesn't even make the roster. So what does that tell you? Like you can probably read between the lines and be like, the team looked at this guy and go, he just sucks at football. Probably like, we're not sure he can play tight end. He's got it. Like on paper, he looks like he should be a stud. Like he literally looks the same as Greg Dulcich on paper, but one clearly is like a starter and the other one can't even get out of camp. So what's the difference? So I think sometimes we have to look a little deeper with tight ends, but I do think the process of looking at the guys, if you if you don't test well as a tight end, I don't care where you're drafted. I don't care where you land. I will fade the Isaiah likely profile every year. And if I miss, I miss, but you're starting to, you're starting to see Isaiah likely a little more and you go, he probably isn't a difference making tight end, right? He probably isn't like he's too small. He's not athletic enough. He's good enough to be in the league, but think of what he's going to have to do to maintain any sort of relevance in dynasty, right? He's going to have to just be a baller, like way better at football than any of the other traits that he has. So I'm excited for this tight end class just to see where they stack up from an athleticism standpoint. But then where do you go from there? Because we missed on some guys this year. Like there were guys I faded and I go, there's no way a rookie tight end will start. Then you get into week 10 and you're like, holy shit, there's like five rookie tight ends in the top 15 and they're startable. They're playable. I mean, did you ever think we would be cycling through Dulcich, Bellinger and Cade Otten in redraft? And there we are. We're going out Cade Otten tight end six this week. Yeah. Okay. And you can't argue with playing him over Dawson Knox or Evan Ingram, you know, like they're literally all the same thing. So I think seeing guys get to that range so quickly probably makes you look back and you go, holy shit, I was getting Daniel Bellinger in the fourth round. I I mean, what are your thoughts on that, Eric? Like, I think you look back and you took how many Ty Chandlers did you take over Daniel Bellinger? You know what I mean? Right. I didn't take any of those tight ends like. I know you weren't big on Isaiah likely because of the Raz score, and I was taking Charlie Kohler along with you. You know, like those fourth rounds or picking them off of a waivers. I was taking Kohler, um, and I still think Kohler has a shot. I mean, the Ravens use that tight end spot. Josh Oliver is a free agent. Obviously, likely is going to be there, but Kohler is going to have a shot at some point. So it's a name that I'm going to keep on my radar. But, yeah, there was a lot of guys, man, this year that, Rookie tight ends, we've we just been told, you know, that's going to take them a couple years. Always is, unless they're just an absolute freak athlete. Like, uh, you know, these Pat Fryer mute that's pretty much started from day one. You know, stuff like that. So, I think I'm with you on on starting with the RAS scores. And speaking of, of, of the RAS scores, I mean, you know, you, we've talked about it. You talk, uh, talked about it with Shane on our episode. Michael Mary, he's not going to test very well. So... If he yes. falls below your RAS score, you know, threshold, Scott, are you going to even draft this guy, even though he's going to be a first-round pick? Yeah, but then you bring up the name Pat Fryermuth, and you're like, okay, if I would have taken Pat Fryermuth where he went, I would have been totally happy with that. 
Right. The difference is, are, are people going to take Michael Mayer? I mean, Ray even said it on Wake Up a couple weeks ago. Michael Mayer is going to be the perfect, hey, I don't know who to draft at the 109, so I'll just take Michael Mayer because I'm pretty sure I'm not going to get a shitty player. I'm going to get a guy that's going to play, probably start right away. Even if I miss, I end up with Dawson Knox or someone like that. Like, that's the floor of what I'm ending up with. And that's better than hitting on, you know, the next Jalen Rager or, you know, the next receiver or running back that just flames out entirely. So people are going to default to Michael Mayer at a certain spot. It's just what that price point's going to be. So, and I was going to ask Jay Rich this, do you think part of the reason these rookie tight ends, maybe we're going to look back at the last class and then going forward, we're going to undervalue rookie tight ends and people are going to start drafting them higher. Is that a product of the tight ends are better? Or is that a product of that the current NFL tight ends, the the median is so low that it's like, just give me a guy that could be, you know, immediately if they play, they're in the top 15. Like, is it just the whole pack sucks so bad that the rookies look more appealing relative to where you can take them? Well, I think the bigger thing for me that's more surprising than anything is like, you look at kind of when we had sort of a historic tight end class to some degree, and they didn't even really pan out. It's David Njoku, Evan Ingram, and OJ, OJ Howard, right? And only two of those tight ends are relevant right now. OJ Howard, is he on Houston? Is he on, on waivers? I don't even know where he is anymore. But Evan Ingram is somewhat relevant, right? Had a historic rookie season. And then now David Njoku obviously got extended and playing pretty well with Deshaun Watson. Uber athletic, though. Michael Mayer is an interesting case because you think about what it takes to be a first-round tight end in the NFL these days, it seems to be quite a bit. We know that there was a mistake with Hayden Hurst, and he was a first-round tight end, but probably shouldn't have been. But unless you're an O.J. Howard out of Alabama, freak athlete. David Njoku, freak athlete. Evan Ingram, mega producer, pretty decent athlete. You look at Mayer, and you're like, man, he produced at a high level. But Scott, to your point, it'll be very difficult for me to draft him. Like, very difficult. And I think the reason why I, I, or Eric, I love you bringing up Pat Fryermuth is because Pat Fryermuth would be tight end one in this class by a mile. Like, I don't even think it's that close. You look at him next to Mayer and you're saying, yeah, give me the guy who may produce a little bit less, but is athletic, right? And even though he's a second round pick, I would probably still rather have Pat Fryermuth over Michael Mayer if Michael Mayer was a top 20 draft pick. But Scott, to your point, if people are seeing Michael Mayer as a top 20, top 15 draft pick in the NFL, there's no way that guy's slipping past like 202. And at which point, how am I going to realistically invest in that player when I believe his ceiling is like tight end six? I believe that he's Dalton Schultz if everything goes right, because I don't believe he can be a top five tight end. I don't believe he can be a George Kittle difference maker. And George Kittle is even that good right now. He, he's got to be almost Darren Waller. He's got to be, you know, some of these tight ends who are just difference makers. And if Michael Mayer is not going to be that guy. I may just rather take a shot on one of these receivers because realistically, if you draft Michael Mayer at even 202, which I think is pretty generous and we'll see if he actually ultimately ends up there. But I don't know who's going to pay up for him after that. If he doesn't play and he doesn't look good and he already has a bad profile, he doesn't even run at the combine, so we don't even know how fast he is. Who's really going to be drafting that guy outside of, well, he was a first-round pick and he's a mega producer in college. But to your point, that may not matter. We've seen guys who are athletic in flame out, and we've seen a lot of guys who aren't athletic who don't work out. So why take the risk on the guy who's unathletic and doesn't work out when there's already guys who are athletic and still don't work out in the NFL? It's it's tough, man. It's tough. I, I don't know how we balance that. And we always talk about trying to get exposure everywhere, no matter what. But it feels like he'd be such a difficult guy to draft on draft day, especially when I know there's running backs I'd rather prefer. There's wide receivers I'd rather prefer. Even a shot on a dart at quarterback. Like, 
Scott, if I give you the, the chance right now, you could have you could have Hendon Hooker drafted in the top 50 or Michael Mayer at like the 202. Would you take Michael Mayer over Hendon Hooker? Yeah, that does feel like one of those where I can see people taking the shot on quarterback, although that's probably not the greatest process considering, you know, Hendon Hooker has a lot of question marks. Yeah. He's not going to go in the first round, not going to take a snap till he's 26. I know there's questions about the system that he's in and how it translates immediately. So if you just say he's going to need a year to kind of figure things out, maybe he can do that while he's injured. So it might be a blessing for him. Like he's somebody that can sit and watch, even though if he would have been drafted yeah. without the ACL, he might've had to play right away. So maybe it works out better for him actually, if he can get healthy. Uh, but I, I think you, hit, I mean, you hit on a good point about, I don't think you're drafting Michael Mayer for the, the flip equity later. You're not drafting him. So you can say, okay, he's going to gain value and become this, you know, tight end, everybody covets. Even Fryermuth, like you could say he's like the, the high end version of what you want Michael Mayer to me, but even him, you put him on a trade block and people are like, okay, I like him. I'll trade for yeah. him. But as soon as I have to pay a premium, they're going to default back to some of the other guys. Like you mentioned, yeah. David Njoku, Evan Ingram, even Hayden Hurst. Hayden Hurst was 25 when he came in, was a first round pick, clearly wasn't even the best tight end on his own team. But you know what the RAS score does? The RAS score does predict that guys are going to get second chances, third chances, fourth chances. The teams are always going to be like, wow, this guy's, you know, 6'5, 265, and he runs X. Like, like he's a freak. There's only so many of those guys. So I think you can look at the RAS score. That's why you see some of these guys that we go, man, that guy's not any good. But then you wonder why he continues to get chance after chance after chance after chance, even when he's cut. So I think that's one thing to use, and you can probably find some value into the offseason too, looking at that. You see guys like that get cut all the time, and people go, oh, no, that guy's dead. Yep. Am I holding O.J. Howard in leagues? No, but there's a there's a world where O.J. Howard could come back, and literally, what would it take for O.J. Howard to jump into you know, the Dawson-Knox range? Not really much. not much, right? So yeah, there, I, you could justify rostering him over a lot of other things. And, but he could also be out of the NFL. He could literally retire after this year, or he could be where Tyler Higby was earlier this year. It could be either one, and you just don't know. So in that case, if there's that wide range of outcomes, I, you know, I'd rather go with those guys at their prices than draft Michael Mayer with where he's going to go. So I, I think I'd definitely be on board with fading. Yeah, I agree. Because, man, if he, especially if he doesn't test, man, it's going to be so hard to even take him you know, in the first round, if he doesn't have any testing at all. I mean, Eric, if he's scary. as slow as we think he is. Yeah. And Scott, you've talked about it a lot. You think he's like molasses out there. Can't outrun anybody. Great player. But he, if he's that slow and he's already projected in the first round, why would you run? You're not going to help your draft right. stock. So like if he runs and he runs like a four, eight, we are full blown fading. The community is out on this guy. But if he doesn't run, I bet you people will probably slot him in at like a 4.7, 4.75, you know, maybe 4.72, where it's like just fast enough that he doesn't kill his draft stock. And Eric, at that point, it just doesn't hurt him. But he, right. we know he's still not fast. But again, like you're saying, can, can you really trust him to, you know, anchor your dynasty team with even a, even a high second round pick? Right. And I think my comparison for him the way that his style of play that I think would work in the NFL is probably Kyle Rudolph and I don't want to like say that because he's got the Notre Dame helmet on or anything like that 
but he just seems like that like 60 catch 600 yard kind of guy like I don't ever see Michael Mayer having 900 to 1000 receiving yards in any year ever like he could have double digit touchdowns I could definitely see him having 10 to 12 touchdowns in his peak year but having like a 900 or 1000 yard season I just I just don't see it personally so what do you well, and like think? Shane said he goes Michael Mayer is not stupid right if he right. knows there's a bunch of other tight ends that are going to test, why would he show up and do that when he's already the consensus top tight end in the class? Like they're already basically telling him he's going to be a first round pick. He can just show up and be like, yeah, I'm the dude. I'm the best tight end in the class. I don't need to do anything except for talk to teams. Right. You know, let, let me get a pulse on who's potentially taking a tight end in the first, but why would I go out there and do anything? Like I've seen people compare him even to like Tyler Eifert and that's like scouting the helmet. But if you guys remember like Tyler Eifert was athletic not the end of the year, not the end of the career, Tyler Eifert, when he had had how many injuries, broken a couple ankles and whatever. But like Tyler Eifert was, ran a four six, and yeah. you remember Tyler Eifert at the end of his career, and you're like, yeah, he has, you know, he's slow, he's a plotter, he's just a touchdown scorer. But like when he came out, he was athletic. I mean, he ran a four six. Mm-hmm. Michael Mayer's not running a four six. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's why I said Kyle Rudolph because he seems like that kind of player. Kyle Rudolph was never some massive athlete putting up, you know, a four, five, forty, or anything like that. Like he kind of seems like the similar type of player to what Kyle Rudolph was. That actually is probably a pretty good comparison. Kyle Rudolph ran a four eight three. Yeah, that's but he was what he's going to be. But he was also here's the other thing about Kyle Rudolph. He was six six two sixty two, so big. Michael Mayer is not six six two sixty. So, I mean, if you have, I mean, he had almost an eight Raz score, but that's because he's huge. You know, if you're 6'4", 245, you can't run a 4'8". At that point, you're just a guy, you know what I mean? So, right. it'll be it'll be fascinating because we know he's going to go in the first round. And then, right. you know, I don't want to get zero shares, but yeah, I'm with able, you. do I have the pick in the one draft where I can get him? Someone lets him fall to the 201. Am I there? Because a lot of other places I might want to get him. It's like, you know, where would you guys take him in a start two tight end league with like two tight end premium? Because I'm in a league and they were having a a discussion in the chat. Uh, It's a 14 team, two PPR, start two. And they're legit talking about him 102 after Bijan. No, oh. 14 teams start two two PPR. You can't you can't get tight ends, Jay Rich. If you yeah. want a guy like Isaiah Likely, you got to pay a first. That just feels so gross. 102. Yeah. But yeah, that's what I mean. You don't want to be the guy that has to take him there, but he he will go in the top four. I mean, this he'd be worth more than that well, after that, know, right? Like, I don't. Yes, I don't agree with that though because it's it's super flex too, right? I'm taking Bijan and the four quarterbacks before him, even in 14 teams. You know how rare it is to get quarterbacks in that, too. I'm still taking the quarterba- uh, the four quarterbacks and Bijan before Michael Mayer. So at least the 106 would be my starting point. Okay, but here's the pushback then. Let's say, because I did that last year in this league. Mm-hmm. I did not, I did not want to pay the price that they were paying for the high-end tight ends in last year's class, right? Yeah, but here's the problem. That vacuum effect, guess what? When you get to the 112, they're already taking Daniel Bellinger, Greg Dulcich. You know what I mean? Yeah, right. So sure, you can say, oh, I'll just get tight ends later until you get to the mid-second and they're already taking the tight end seven because there's that's what you take. So, I mean, are you more comfortable? Let's say you had the 103 and the 203. Would you rather take Michael Mayer at the 103 and still be able to get 
Kendra Miller, Zach Charbonnet, Josh Downs at the 203? Or would you rather take the quarterback and then you know you need a tight end and you end up taking the tight end six in the class off the board at the 203? You know what I mean? Right. So which combo would you rather have? And that's where it becomes a debate. Like that type of league, if I can get a Michael Mayer, even if he's a 6,600, like Jay Rich said, that's valuable. You can't trade for that without giving up a a surefire starter at another position. That's the floor. And part of the issue is you need to find somebody willing to trade one. Right. I might pay you the price, but you go, man, I only have one tight end. I, I just can't trade him. I need, you know, I need Jalen Waddle. I'll give you Pat Fryermuth for Jalen Waddle. And I still don't even want to do that, you know, but that's kind of where the pricing's at. So it's interesting. Right. All right. Well, that's enough tight end talk for this one. Scott's going to have an aneurysm over there if we keep talking about tight ends. So. <laughs> but anyways, we're gonna we're gonna go to uh, Todd McShay's mock draft that he put out a couple days ago. So I'm just gonna kind of go through. I'll just name off the five positions here, uh, offensive positions in a row. We're not gonna go over the defense and kind of just talk about the player and the landing spot there. If we would like that landing spot, nothing too major here. So uh, first pick overall was Bryce Young, quarterback, Alabama to the Houston Texans. Uh, next offensive player was the Detroit Lions at four, taking C.J. Stroud from the Ohio State. Number five, the Philadelphia Eagles took B. John Robinson from Texas at number five. Number six was Will Levis, went to Kentucky. Uh, he went to the Atlanta Falcons at six. And then number, well, offensive lineman, number 11. To the Carolina Panthers, Anthony Richardson. So four quarterbacks in the top 11. And then Bijan Robinson as well. So what do you guys think about those landing spots? Jay? Man, that's uh, that's something. Right. That's something. You got to talk about Bijan in Philly. Do we like it? I think it's I think it's pretty good. It's a good spot for him. It's a great team, right? Yep. The quarterbacks, though... I'm trying to think of how I'd rank these quarterbacks and you guys think about this. Cause I'm gonna throw it to you after part of me wants to put a rich at one in Carolina, right? I think the team will be better. I'm assuming that they will work around him. If he's drafted at 11, I don't hate it. Then you got Will Levis in Atlanta playing in what I imagine is still gonna be a run first offense for Arthur Smith, right? They'll probably still air it a little bit. CJ Stroud in Detroit would be awesome. Can't imagine he goes there now with the reports of them probably retaining golf and not going quarterback there that high. But in the offense, you have a great offensive line, great weapons around him, successful offense already. It's just, can he adjust to the moment and work in pressure? Cause he has been bad under pressure, pressure situations. And then Bryce young. I don't know how to feel about Bryce young in Houston. He's probably going to Houston unless, you know, something changes from now till the draft. It, it seems like he's going to be the one-on-one for sure. But he has Nico Collins. Does he have Brandon Cooks? I don't know. Yeah, they got Damian Pierce, but they need to add more for him. And so I look at these guys, and it's it's difficult for me to not put Stroud at one simply because of what he has around him. But again, for fantasy football, the ceiling we know is more towards Levis and Richardson. So knowing these guys are all top 11 draft picks, uh, Scott, I'll start with you. How would you rank these guys? I think I would start with Rich at one. I'd probably put Stroud at two. Levis at three and then young at four. I think it could go any way though. I think how you want to rank these guys up to you, but how would you feel about these four guys knowing 
that this is where they're drafted. And obviously Bijan already one-on-one locked in, especially on the Eagles. Well, it is interesting because I think the one-on-one, whoever it ends up being at the Texans, most likely they're going to take a quarterback, whoever they choose on, whoever they pick. I think we pretty much assume that guy's starting from day one. They also have a ton of draft capital. So you also have to think that they're going to add weapons, hopefully. Like, I think they have the Browns pick, which is like in the top 15 right now. It's like that could easily be the wide receiver one or two off the board. You know, so just depending on who they pick there. But I think the thing about these landing spots is if Carolina takes Richardson, is he starting day one? He shouldn't be, right? I think we can all agree that he shouldn't be. But don't we also kind of think that if if I knew he was be if he was in Detroit and him and Stroud switch spots, forget about the draft capital. Because I don't really care if it's, you know, pick five or pick eleven or pick ten. You know what I mean? Like I'm I'm the landing spot and the profile is gonna matter a little bit more if it's not like the top one or top two picks. But I think if he's in Detroit, then I'm sitting there going, like, okay, I'm comfortable taking Richardson as high as he needs to be taken to get him and let him sit. But I also, I mean, Ray said it. I don't I don't think he wants Richardson playing day one. Because I think there's also the possibility for, again, we're not talking about we're talking about dynasty assets, right? Uh-huh. Richardson plays day one and he goes out there and he can't even complete a pass. What's gonna happen to his dynasty value? Yeah, he'll look worse than Justin Fields. The Guaranteed. all over. It, it yeah. will be, oh my gosh, this guy's literally throwing the ball in the ground, has no clue what he's doing, he's never gonna get there. You're right. We saw that stuff with Fields, and we're in year two with Fields. He had 20-plus starts under his belt, and you were still hearing that stuff, and people were getting off on him. I sold a couple Fields shares for basically just like a single first, and I'm sitting there going like, okay, that was a mistake. But you know people are going to behave like that. So I almost would put Richardson at one, regardless of where he goes, as long as he goes in the top 20 or even just the first round, if I know he's in a spot where he doesn't play, period. Because then I get this incubation period where everyone is excited about, well, he's going to take over at some point. Man, he's looking good in camp. He's picking up the offense. He's studying behind this quarterback. Like, they're raving about how he looks. Like, you're not going to really hear anything concrete, but that that mystery box is going to build. And I'd almost rather have the mystery box than the Bryce Young that starts day one, and then obviously he's going to be on a shitty team. And immediately we're going to be going, man, you know, he's struggling. He's too small. You know, like it's going to be, there's going to be a hit yeah. from a dynasty standpoint. So I would, I would probably go, whoever goes to Detroit, I might even just put them at QB one. Just because I'm safe. pretty sure they're not going to play right away. Even if it's Stroud and goes to Detroit, like people think that's weird that Stroud would go to Detroit. I think it's a chance they pick CJ Stroud and sit him all year. What's mm-hmm. the difference between him and Goff, right? Like, let's be honest. They're both not so mobile. They're pretty accurate. Let them sit back there, stand, scan the field, deliver the ball. Like that's what both those quarterbacks do really well. But now what if I told you that the Texans in this mock draft got Michael Mayer at 12 right behind. So you're, you're bolstering that offense, right? You wanted them to get Bryce young, a weapon. Well, they got him one, Scott, they got him your guy in Michael Mayer at 12 overall. So now he's got Nico Collins, Damian Pierce and Michael Mayer just just needed to give you a little bit more context so we see the full picture here does that change anything for you obviously you said you have you know the Detroit QB at one maybe Anthony Richardson sounds like a two but would that change anything for you as far as Bryce Young's ranking no but they do have two other picks so they're gonna have four top 50 picks so I do think that they're gonna add off offensive talent so I mean I wouldn't hate if they added Michael Mayer but 
that wouldn't necessarily inspire me to be like, okay, that means it's going to be, you know, wheels up for Bryce Young in year one. So I don't know. I'm excited for if we get four quarterbacks in the top 11, the dynamics of just how to value them and where to take them and which ones, because there's the other thing is there's going to be people in drafts that are going to prioritize the guy that's going to play right away. Yeah. That's it. That's all I care about. I need a guy to plug in. Bryce Young's clearly the QB one because he's going to start right away. The other people that, that have a team with like Jalen Hurts and Justin Fields already, they could care less if the guy starts week one. I probably don't even need him until week eight, week nine. And if he's not starting by then, there's going to be opportunities for me to get plug and play guys in the meantime. So that's an interesting one. That The hard one for me is Levis because if I think he went to Atlanta, there's a shot he starts day one. But I actually, as much as people don't like him, I, I do think that's the type of quarterback that Arthur Smith wants. I don't think dynasty people would like that. They wouldn't look at Levis and go, oh, he's going to elevate Drake London and Kyle Pitts, you know? But I actually, I mean, can you squint and see a little Tannehill and Will Levis? Oh, absolutely. Well, I think the interesting point about, about Levis, right, in Atlanta, and what gives me confidence that just maybe he'll take a quarterback is I didn't expect to see Desmond Ritter. I thought it'd be right. Mariota the rest of the year, and we wouldn't see Desmond Ritter, and that would probably tell us that they're not looking at quarterback. Now, Mariota's benched. We'll probably see Ritter stink it up for three weeks or four weeks, however many games he has left. And that's telling us, well, do they believe in Ritter? We're hoping that maybe they don't because he doesn't look good. And at that point, they consider moving on in this draft. And then you get Levis coming in. If he's a first-round pick, top six, he's going to start. Like, there's no way they're bringing Mariota back. There's no way they're going to throw Desmond Ritter in there over their their first-round quarterback. So I think at that point, you're probably right. If they take Levis at six and Ritter doesn't look that good, and we clearly hear that reports that maybe Atlanta is considering taking a quarterback in the first round and they do it, I think that guy would be starting day one as well. Well, let's say that happened. Let's say Levis does go to Atlanta. But then we get into camp and it's he's struggling to beat out Desmond Ritter. Well, that's... Is, isn't there potential that his dynasty value just crushed gets crushed at that point? Oh yeah, absolutely. Well, imagine, well, you're talking about reports about Bryce Young. Just wait till you hear the reports about Bryce Young's passes being batted down in practice by defensive mm-hmm. linemen, right? Then right. his dynasty value is going to create. So it's, that's the biggest problem here is that all these guys have some semblance of a hole. And how do we navigate these guys? I think your point about the Detroit quarterback, if they take a quarterback, that is probably the most secure, great offensive line, great running game, great talent, at wide receiver. Even the defense will probably get better over the years. So I think there's a lot of reasons to believe that that's the best situation. But how do we feel about Atlanta? How do we feel about Houston? How do we feel about Carolina? Eric, what are your thoughts on these quarterbacks? And then if you want to touch on B. John Robinson, feel free to talk about him as well. Because we did briefly mention him at five overall. Yeah. So I think if I had to rank the four quarterbacks for me, I think I agree with you on Richardson, probably one. I think if Carolina and that owner, like if they take a quarterback that high and how starving they, that owner has been for a quarterback, like I wouldn't shock me if he's like, no, Richardson's playing day one and I don't give a shit. Like, but does that he, does that worry you though? Because I think you're right. I think what you're saying is absolutely correct. Right. If if they want to draft a guy and it's Richardson, the owner's gonna Tebbit's gonna be like, yep, he's starting. We drafted this guy to be right. our franchise quarterback. I'm not watching Sam Darnold. I'm not watching Baker Mayfield. I'm not watching PJ Walker. I want to see our first round pick play. Would that scare you if you draft Richardson that high? Because the, we already suspect him to kind of struggle mm-hmm. early on. So how would you feel about that if he did start? I mean, I. I think the easy comparison is like Cam Newton-ish, right? That's kind of what – he's not as big as what Cam Newton was, but he's not that far off. 
if they could run like a similar offense, they, you know, obviously they're going to get a new coach. Uh, I mean, Wilkes has done all right, so Wilkes may- maybe sticks around. But if they get a new coach, I would assume a new GM as well. They just clean house. You're going to have to build that entire offense around him. So I think it would have to hinge on, um, you know, what they do for the coach and, and the system that they're going to install. But he's got, you know, their offensive line's been really good this year. They've been running the ball really well with Foreman and Hubbard the last couple of weeks here. So I think they got the running game. They got a solid offensive line foundation going. Their defense is really solid. So I don't, like, hate it. Um I'd be okay with it if he he had to go out there and roll week one, especially for fantasy. Like, he's going to run the ball. He's going to get you, you know, 60, 70 yards. I don't know, weekly, but, you know, it's probably a pretty good floor. Um, and then second quarterback, I think I would take Bryce Young just because I, I value him as probably the QB one in the class. I think the weapons would be nice. Like, you said, Nico Collins is going to be there still. If they take Michael Mayer, that's a nice weapon. You got Damian Pierce. Um, we talked about it a little bit in the Heisman. Like, that would be a great place for Tony Pollard to go and have a Damian Pierce-Tony Pollard combo um, in the backfield and kind of just build up the offensive line and the running backs there, get a good solid run game going there for Bryce Young. I like that. I think three, I mean, I love the Lions, but I think I'd take Levis at three, throw in the Kyle Pitts and Drake London. I think Levis, I think Levis is a little better than what people think. Like everyone just shits on him that he's not this and that and, and whatever. But I think he's pretty good, man. I think his arm is really good. He hasn't had to, had weapons like that, like Kyle Pitts and Drake London. So I think just having those two, he would smash with those two. And then, you know, if if Stroud's got to sit, I think actually I think the Lions is a really good spot. Like Jay Rich was talking about with Goff, like he's kind of similar. He can sit back there. They have a really really good offensive line, and that's big for Stroud. Like because I think if Stroud goes to a team with a shitty offensive line and he's thrown out there, he's just going to ruin his confidence because he's not good at all under pressure. And that's one of his biggest flaws. And if he is getting constantly pressured and he's not able to just sit back there, read the defense, make the throw that he's supposed to, I think Stroud's going to suck. So, actually, I really like the Lions spot for him. So that would be a guy that I would probably be interested in. And then finally, Bijan to the Eagles. Miles Sanders is a free agent. I think Boston Scott's a free agent too, so they obviously could clean house. I just don't know if if he would go that high. He does warrant it. I just don't know if teams would be willing to t- take a running back that high. But on that offense, man, with Jalen Hurts next to him, we've always heard about these uh, rushing quarterbacks with the how they open up holes for the running backs. Man, opening up holes for Bijan and that offensive line is so damn good. Yeah, I mean Bijan's a locked in one on one in every draft and. I've already talked about it before on previous shows. He's already my RB1 in Dynasty over everybody, and he hasn't even stepped on the field yet. So that, that nothing changing on that one. So, How do you think the community would see the Eagles landing spot? Have to mm. be good, right? I mean, they're basically Super Bowl bound at this point. So right. imagine, I, I, if, and... imagine if they won the Super Bowl. Like yeah. they won the Super Bowl and they draft B. John Robinson – the Eagles offense is the best in the league. They score the most points in the league. It's very difficult to not see it as a good situation with how good they are. I think the only concern is really the pass catching because there's not a whole lot of pass catching for the Eagles, right? I, I can't imagine. I don't know the number off the top of my head, but I don't think they have a guy with many 
no, passes caught. And I think they still have Gainwell, so they maybe still want to use Gainwell in his role, even if they do get Bijan Robinson. Seems foolish, but again, a guy who knows the system, has a role in the system, doesn't mean it has to change just because you bring in even someone as talented as Bijan Robinson. But yeah, I mean, scoring potential is super high, right? Hurts will steal some of his touchdowns for sure, but Sanders had a great year. And so you imagine throwing Bijan Robinson in Sanders' role this season, I'd, it would be disgusting probably what he put up. So I, I guess that was my kind of my point with this is Bijan. It sounds like he's pretty much landing spot proof if he gets the draft capital. But is he landing spot proof from going? He's the RB one. Like he's Eric's RB one in Dynasty. Is there a landing spot slash draft capital he can get where you're taking him over Justin Jefferson? You're taking him over Deshaun Watson. Like you're putting him up where I'm taking Bijan as the cornerstone fucking asset of my team. Are we ever going to get there again with a running back in Dynasty? To where I'm starting my startup with the running back over a wide receiver, over a quarterback, because his ceiling is that high. And I think I know your answer. It's probably no. But I also look at some of the historic like Christian McCaffrey seasons, and you say if you have that in a landscape where everyone else is fading running back mm-hmm. and the median average of running backs has gone down, it's a bit it's almost like Travis Kelsey level advantage. If you have one of those guys that puts up that and Bijan might be the only guy we see come into the NFL in the next five years that's capable of that. So mm-hmm. I, it, it, it's just, is there a landing spot slash draft capital that he could get to where people are actually valuing even higher than what he is right now? I, I can't think of the spot, right? That's the biggest problem is, you know, well, maybe he goes here top five to the Eagles. Who's the best offense in the league. And you, you mentioned two flaws already in the offense, Jay Rich. Well, Gainwell, well, you know they're going to use multiple running backs, regardless yep. of who they are. Next year's Boston Scott, next year's Gainwell. And then the Jalen Hurts stealing receptions and touchdowns. Like, I, I think it's fair to do the math on an Eagles running back and say he does not have potential to be a 28-point-per-game running back. Yeah. He just, just, he just doesn't. Not it's impossible. Right. Yeah. And I think yeah, I look and, at like the Bengals. Honestly, the only spot I see it is the Steelers, right? Like the Steelers are the only team that have shown us to some degree they're willing to use a bell cow running back and they're not drafting B. John Robinson. Like I, I look at the Bengals and see, man, if they could somehow get rid of Joe Mixon and they, <laughs> they get B. John Robinson and maybe they get rid of P. Ryan, like maybe, but even that feels like a pipe dream. Like there's just not a lot of spots. Like there's just not, I don't, I don't know of where else you could see a guy come in and even even as talented as Bijan Robinson, he's just not gonna be that guy. Like it took the it took the Giants basically four years to give Saquon Barkley that workload. He was drafted what fourth overall. So even his rookie year, he he saw a ton of volume. But I just I don't see a spot for him. But again, if even if it's not the Eagles, if he goes at five, like Christian McCaffrey went, I believe at four. Like Leonard Fournette went at whatever the hell he went super high too. Like all these guys who've gone super high have gotten the volume. And right. so maybe to your point, though, Scott, not 20 point per game volume, but they at least have gotten the volume of the draft that high. So if he's drafted at five, I have to imagine he's pretty heavily. But on the Eagles, I just don't see it happening. Not, well, even not if you said even if you said he goes to the Steelers and Najee wasn't there, yeah. I would also push back and go, OK, he, he might be able to hit 20 points per game. But the offense yeah. isn't going to be good enough for him to hit the elite numbers. So really, you're looking for this sweet spot to where he's going to get a Josh Jacobs workload on a Bills or Eagles level offense. Yeah. I and think- I think that's kind of counterproductive because you know what? 
if you named off the top six or eight offenses in the league, guess what they're probably not going to do? Give it to their running back 400 times. Right. They're probably going to ride multiple weapons. They're going to spread it around. They have four or five guys they can smash, which is going to limit the ceiling. Right? If you look back at like McCaffrey's smash years and Barkley's smash year, it was on teams where you're like, they, they were the best player. So I think that's a weird thing with Bijan. It's like, did, are you really willing to pay RB1 overall price for him in Dynasty? Or is it more of, Eric, he's your RB1 just because there isn't anybody else I want? But when it comes to picking him compared to receivers and, and quarterbacks, I'm like, I don't know about that. So, Scott, you brought up Josh Jacobs. What if he went to the Raiders at eight? Because they can get rid of Josh Jacobs this season. He's looking I, for a contract. Mm-hmm. But if you said if you said to me, like if I said to you, okay, Josh Jacobs is gone, and they're going to take Bijan Robinson at eight, Josh Jacobs coming off an RB1 season for the Raiders. Heavy workload. Yes, he dealt with some injuries, but now you're slotting in all pro Doak Walker award winner Bijan Robinson into that Raiders offense with Josh McDaniels. All they have is Devontae Adams there. How would you feel about that situation? Because potentially, if that somehow did come to fruition, I could see people being like, holy hell, Josh Hague was RB1, got all this work. Now we have Bijan Robinson in this role. Sign me up. Number right. one pick in Dynasty Leagues. And people would go nuts. But Scott, how would you feel about that situation? I mean, I just looking at it right now, Josh Jacobs is averaging 24.1 touches a game and four targets a game. So you'd have to think somebody like Bijan with his skill set, he could hit the 24, but that might be more six targets, 18 carries, right? Yeah. And then Jacobs is at almost 22 points per game. You got to figure if Bijan's just as good or better or more athletic or more explosive that that could be 25 points per game. But I think if you look historically back at the guys that hit those just elite numbers, it's either extreme passing volume. We're talking Kamara, McCaffrey, Eckler level. I mean, 100 catch level. I don't know if Bijan, 100 catch guy. I don't think there's many guys that come into the league that are that anymore. Maybe he's 70, 75, 80 catch, but not 100. Then you look at the touchdowns. Is he a 20 touchdown guy? Maybe, maybe in the right season. Austin Eckler's done it a couple times. But then is he going to land in an offense that's as good as like the Chargers was last year? Or So there's like all these factors that come into play where I think he's really safe to probably be a 20-point-per-game running back. But if you're talking about taking him in the first round of a startup, that, that's probably not a smart pick unless you're, he's going to hit the 25 points per game. So it's just, it's just interesting to see the landing spot. Is there a spot that somebody will go, okay, this is the golden spot? He's going to get all the work. He's going to get the receiving work and the, because I think we agree. We want more first and foremost for all of our dynasty players. We want them to be on good, efficient offensive teams. I don't care about how many targets you're going to get. I don't care how many carries you're going to get. If you're on a shitty team, you're going to be volatile every week. But then if you get on a good team and they have six good players, you're going to be volatile week to week. So it's like you need that sweet spot to where, what do we always talk about on our recap shows, Eric? We want good offenses, but we want offenses that only use three or four guys. Yep. None of this, oh, they throw to nine different guys. They use four running backs. I don't care if you are the 2000 Rams or 2001 Rams. I don't care if you're that, but you throw to 10 players. I'm not interested in that. Mm-hmm. I want it to be a lead offense that goes, we have four dudes. And those are the only guys that we're ever going to give the ball to. I think that's where Bijan thrives. Maybe that's the Raiders. I don't know. But it's an interesting discussion. I think the team that you brought up would be that would be the smash spots, the Chargers. They get rid of Eckler and Bijan just takes that spot. 
I think Bijan. What if be... he goes there and they they say they're keeping Eckler for the next two years? Well, yeah, that that's would be the issue for sure. I mean, but why but, would they get why would they get rid of a guy like Eckler? You know. Uh, well, no, I understand that, but I'm just saying, in theory, if we had the perfect landing spot to where everything worked out in Bijan's favor, it would be the Chargers because they've shown, hey, we're we're willing to throw the ball hundred catch season to our running back, you know, and they're willing to do it, and they've used them at the goal line. They've used them everywhere. So, you know, that would be the golden spot for me is if he ended up with the Chargers and then they just moved on from Eckler or even kept Eckler around for one year or whatever. I think that would be a a really, really good smash spot for him. But as far as, like, a dynasty draft startup, like, obviously we're still taking those quarterbacks. We talked about them. They're king. You know, we're taking those the first half of the draft. And then you're going to get into your Jamar Chases, your Justin Jeffersons. Um, if it's tight end premium, you know, people will still look at Kyle Pitts that high sometimes. I, I mean, mean I, Jay Rich, how far how far would Bijan fall for you if he went to like Jacksonville? Oh or somewhere there's already a what we consider to be a decent running back. What if he went to Seattle? So I, I'm just throwing out spots where it's like, okay. Like and you we, could see a team looks at him as a, a weapon that they take another running back and you're going, why would a team with Travis Etienne take him? But then they right. do. I was going to so, say the Rams, but they don't have a first, but yeah, I'd say Scott, that's a really good point because we, that's something in dynasty. We just, we rule it out. Oh, there's no way the Jaguars are taking B. John Robinson. It's, it's not happening. It's just not going to happen, but it can happen. And so my only pushback to you is saying, I get it from the ceiling and, and what does he become? But if I'm taking Bijan Robinson and he, he is what everyone says he is, he is beating out every running back outside of like three or four in the NFL. In most cases, like even so if he's it on kills the guy that's there already, basically, I think to some degree. Yeah. Like if he, so for instance, he goes on the jets. Who do you think is winning that job? Is it Brees Hall or is it Bijan Robinson? Because I would probably bet it's Bijan Robinson. Oh, dynasty players would lose. Their you know what I mean? So like, I, I think Eric, it's a really good point about Eckler. I don't think you can take Eckler's job. His job is so secure. He's so great at it. But like you talk about Travis Etienne, could Bijan Robinson take Travis Etienne's job? Maybe it's probably not going to happen. Like we, but again, it's like, I think of Eckler, I think of like a Jonathan Taylor. Like I don't think B. John Robinson's taking Jonathan Taylor's job, not out the gate, but Kenneth Walker. Yeah. I think you can take Kenneth Walker's job. The dude who basically just runs into offensive line 10 times a game. And then every now and then he breaks a big run. Like, yeah, I could see how B. John Robinson's better than that guy. So it's, it's interesting conversation for sure, but it's, it's the right situation would be perfect. But then if it's not the right situation, can he beat that guy out? How long does it take? Is he in a committee? It shouldn't change whether or not he's one on one, but in a startup, it makes that decision so much harder because I think I'd have a hard time taking him below like RB four, RB five in a startup, regardless of where he goes, because I believe he's more talented than again more basically outside of three or four guys. I'd be willing to still take him there, but it, it, how would you feel if like he was on those one kind of like uncertain situations? how far could he possibly drop in your dynasty ranks to where you'd be like, I don't know if I could take him in the top five at running back. Well, I see. That's the thing is like, I can, I'm just envisioning the spots where he goes to Dallas with Zeke or Tennessee with Derrick Henry or Cincinnati with Mixon or yeah. Minnesota with Dalvin cook. People will lose their minds because immediately he's not going to get 25 touches. In but fact, do you, those th- do you think those people type- would lose it though? Because they're like, well, 
Dalvin Cook's old and he's going to take over for Zeke. Like, do you think that, do you think that would even creep into their mind? They'd be like, oh yeah, it's just a matter of time. Bijan's going to, Bijan's going to beat that guy out. Like, I think that people are so, so enamored by Bijan. He could beat out prime LT in it for a job. Like, I just, I feel like that's kind of where he is. So I think it's a great point, but I'm curious how people would react. Cause I, I still partially believe that people are so enamored by him that they will look past even an Austin Eckler in front of them. Even though we both, I think everyone on this show agrees that Austin Eckler's job is probably very secure. Yeah. Then I think the, the consensus is he's basically landing spot proof. Cause we've pretty much, right. you know, like thrown around every possible spot. Yeah. I think the ones that people would just be freaked out about is if he went to the jets, like you said, people wouldn't know what to do with that. Right. Denver with Javante, Seattle with Kenneth yeah. Walker, Jacksonville with Travis Etienne, New England with Ramondre. Pe- yep. People would freak out if it was any of those spots because they would go, "What do I? What do I do?" You know, because yeah. I, a, a lot of the same people that would be on him are also in on Travis Etienne. They're like, "What do I do?" You know what I mean? Do I just buy into both, or you know? So that those would be the ones I think. If it's one of the ones with the older running backs, that's easy. And then if it's a one that doesn't have a running back, that's easy. The the Lions get tired of DeAndre Swift shit and bring in Bijan. Yeah. There, he's been he's been mocked there before too. Imagine they get yeah. rid of Jamal Williams, and he's a free agent, they, right? And they bring in Bijan Robinson, and then they got Bijan Robinson, DeAndre Swift. That would and, be nasty. and that's a team with two top fifteen picks. They could use yep. that second first as just a fuck you pick. We're taking the best player. This guy's a this guy is the next Christian McCaffrey. You know what I mean? We're just taking him, and yeah. we're gonna figure out how to use him. And then you're like, ooh, DeAndre Swift. You know, he just got Michael Carter or Antonio yeah, Gibson. He, he's you dead. Know? He's not yep. worth a third at that point. Like people would <laughs> yeah. just write him off completely. That would be interesting. All right. So we're going to continue on here. Number 12. We talked about it a little bit ago. Michael Mayer to the Texans to pair up with Bryce Young. Number 13, Quinton Johnston to the Jacksonville Jaguars to pair up with Trevor Lawrence and Christian Kirk, Zay Jones, Calvin Ridley. So that'll be an interesting one. Uh, another one here. Uh, scrolling down, Jordan Addison, number 20 to the New York Giants. So Daniel Jones or whoever their quarterback's going to be would get their number one receiver in Jordan Addison. And then number 22, Jackson Smith and Jigba to the Tennessee Titans to pair up with Traylon. So what do you guys think of those ones? JSN, Quinton Johnson, Addison, Michael Mayer. Jay, got thoughts? So... This is tough, right? We want to talk about this tier one bucket of receivers. JSN is instantly third for me. It's not even close. Um, I think it's pretty simple, honestly. I think you take Addison number one because I think he's got the clearest path to playing time. If Darius Slayton can put up whatever, he's going to put up six to 700 yards this season with Daniel Jones. I don't really care who the quarterback is. I think they're going to find ways to get him the ball, and he'll be great. Quinn Johnson is in a tough situation. I like him. Do I think he's better than Calvin Ridley? Absolutely not. Um, never. Even if Calvin Ridley didn't play for two straight years, I would still probably take him over Quentin Johnston. But can he beat him out over the long term potentially? So he definitely be wide receiver two there for me. And then, yeah, like JSN, I love the guy. But in that Titans offense, um, it's Traylon Burks, and there's I don't care about anybody else. Like He'll be fine, but if he, he could legitimately end up as the next Nick Westbrook-Akine, but better, right? Like, he may get some more volume, 60, 70 targets on the year. I, I just don't want that. And so 
for me, it would it would plummet his draft stock. I don't think that you can. I don't think that Tennessee can possibly support two wide receivers when they have Derrick Henry and they barely even throw to Traylon Burks. And so we believe Traylon Burks is that guy, and JSN is going to be some complimentary piece who fills in for Robert Woods. I mean, we see what Robert Woods is doing right now. He's been hurt, but even if he was full go the whole season, I don't think he would necessarily be that much better to where we're like we want that guy. And and Scott, I'd want your opinion on whether you think JSN could even be a threshold receiver. Right. And kind of how you'd rank these guys, because I think for me, it's clearly Addison one clearest path to playing time. No wide receivers in the room. You have Quinn Johnson, super talented, going to be a high draft pick, probably wide receiver one in a crowded room, but with a great quarterback, probably on an ascending offense. And then you have Jack Smith and Jigbo on the Tennessee Titans. Not a great offense for wide receivers. Run the ball a ton. We'll put up some points, but mainly they're just run the ball and defense. So how would you sort through those three guys? I'd probably put. Johnston number one, but I think you could probably get him at a little bit of a cheaper cost than what Addison's going to go for. Cause I think people are going to chase the immediate, you know, essentially like the, the, the Chris Olave, Drake London stuff from this year. Like he's going to have to be able to play right away. And I, I they're going to chase that production first. I'd probably put Johnston at the top just because I'm, I'm good buying into players drafted that high on good offenses. I don't care what the depth chart looks like week one, you know, we're playing for week eight, week 10. And yeah, JSN, we were talking about that in the the Heisman voice chat earlier today. Like you have to do some funny math on AJ Brown's history in Tennessee to even project him out to be like a top 12 receiver. And you also have to essentially take Ryan Tannehill's efficiency when he was low volume and give him that efficiency when he's high volume, which really they correlate between the two. Whenever he had to throw it like 35 times a game, he wasn't as good. So you really, you're like, there's a sweet spot for him. It's probably like 28, 30 attempts a game max. And then you're sitting there going like, even if you're basically getting a slightly richer version of like the Falcons, you know, even if you're talking about 25% of 30 attempts a game and you have two threshold receivers that you're trying to squeeze in there, that's, that's a narrow path to get there, right? You're talking about two guys that are maybe getting six or seven targets a game. And then they have to be good with those targets. And anytime the game gets out of script where Tannehill has to throw it more, like the quality of the targets goes down. So yeah, that would be, honestly, there's a good chance the Titans take one of these receivers. So you kind of hope for the sake of your rookie drafts that they don't take one of these, what, six, seven receivers that are going to go in the top 50. You hope one of them's not to the Titans. Like they can go ahead. That's the team you wanted to like trade for Chase Claypool. You know, right? Like, go yeah. put him there, and kind of that builds that fills their quota of what they need, but it doesn't really impact dynasty values. Whereas, as here, it's like they're going to probably draft one, and I don't know that. I think I, we could see a guy like if they. I think the other mock we were looking at had Josh Downs going to the Titans. Yeah, in the late first, like they take Josh Downs, there'll be people that won't even take him in the top fifteen of drafts. Yeah. Like really, you're gonna fade him. It's like the it's like Kadarius Tony all over again. Better profile, but you're gonna look at it and be like, yeah, I don't like this guy. Round one receiver. Wow, I'm getting him in at pick two oh five in rookie drafts. It's like Ayuk. You mentioned him earlier. It's gonna be the same thing. So, I, I yeah, I'm with you. He's automatically at the bottom. Any receiver they take, no matter who it is. Right. I uh, so a couple points I wanted to make. JSN, his uh, Shane Helms' uh, comp for him was Robert Woods. So that's a little interesting. I could kind of fill that same kind of role there for them. Yeah, I, I kind of agree with you on Johnston too. Like if he gets goes to Jacksonville on that ascending offense, you know, 
Trevor Lawrence would have Calvin Ridley, Christian Kirk, and Johnson to throw to, man, I got to put Trevor Lawrence a little bit higher on my dynasty quarterback rankings, oh, especially yeah. the way he's been playing. And ETN, too. I mean, shit. You know, like he, he might be above Dak for me at that point. I think I have Dak just maybe a spot or two ahead of him right now, but he might ascend over Dak from w- with that one. Um, with uh, not Jays, uh, Addison. I mean, it, that would just be a great spot for him to be the number one there. I would probably. I think I have Addison as my number one receiver in this class right now. I haven't really you know dove too much into it, but Addison with the Giants. I think that would be a really good spot. I'd probably take a quite a bit of him, and like Scott said, you know the, that early production, you know, like Olave got and Drake London got. I think that's a really good spot for him. He would, he'd be able to hit that. So I would like that. And then uh, Michael Mayer with Bryce Young, I, I I definitely like that. But like we talked about earlier, it just I don't ever see him hitting that that threshold of eight hundred, nine hundred receiving yards, anything like that. It's a sol- it's a solid pick, like uh, you're one twelve, two oh one, somewhere in there, but I, I just don't know if I could take him that high. So Yeah, I mean Eric, like to your point, I think if imagine if they take Josh Downs in the second round, right? Would you rather right. have Michael Mayer or Josh Downs? I think that Michael Mayer just has a lot more for Bryce Young or whoever the quarterback is than he will do for us in fantasy world. Right. All right, and then to finish this draft off here, I'm just going to go through the rest of the first round. At 24, Jameer Gibbs to the Denver Broncos. So that was Scott's um, talking about it earlier. If Javante ended up getting one of these running backs, so we'd have Javante and Jameer Gibbs together. That would be interesting. Uh, 27, the Minnesota Vikings take Zay Flowers. Don't love that one. Um, I saw another mock earlier. It might have been Dane Brugler's. but he had Jordan Addison going to the Vikings. I would have loved to seen that. Um, and that is it for the offensive positions for the first rounds. Uh, Josh Downs just missed it. Uh, he is listed as McShay, one of McShay's top uh, picks for day two, so he misses out on it. But we have two running backs there with Gibbs and Bijan going in the first here. We got Zay Flowers to Minnesota. Any thoughts? final thoughts on those guys? I think Gibbs to Denver would be one of those ones that dynasty managers would have a really hard time swallowing because it's like they consider probably him and Javante both top 12 running backs and now they're on the same team. So what the hell do we do? And I'm probably more of my expectations are already pretty level on guys like that where I think they're good and they're not insanely good. So really, I'm just kind of considering them both rb 10 to 24 ish and i'll take them where i can get them but if the if the community is going to fade one or the other i'll just take the other because i think they're both good they both have probably different slightly different skill sets that would be an interesting fit though because like that was one Mm -hmm. of javante's specialties was he was like the outlet third down back that you could have seen if he would have continued on the pace he was at you could have seen him having 65 70 catches so it'd be interesting to put gibbs in there and, and you just would be interesting to see how they would use those two together considering Javante's coming off the ACL injury. So that one would be one of those where, right. you know, you, I would be one of the ones that's higher on uh, Gibbs probably than the community. They would probably push him down a little bit because of the landing spot. And I'd be like, sure, I'll keep taking him at 106, 107. You know, if you believe in the talent, you believe in guy getting being a good receiver, like he's going to score points. Uh, I actually love the Minnesota landing spot. Maybe not for Zay Flowers, but any receiver they take, I'm going to be on. Right. That's a team outside of Jefferson has nobody. 
Yeah. Like that, that, that's one of the teams historically that's been able to produce multiple receivers, multiple weapons, and they're just not doing it this year. And I don't know if that's a O'Connell thing. It's the adjustment, the first year of the offense, but I think next year, uh, that's one where they're going to be able to produce multiple weapons. And so any receiver that would go there, especially in the first round, I think that's a, that that's a clear number two to start the season. And I, I'd be all in on whoever that is. I hope it's Josh Downs or, you know, Addison would be awesome, but yeah, anybody it is that they were in a first round pick, um, I'd be in on. And probably the community will be not as in on. Cause they're like, Kirk cousins, there's no way he's going to get any volume with Justin Jefferson until you realize yeah. Kirk cousins is supported two 20 top 24 receivers like five times, you know, so he's going to still be able to do that. So yeah, I think that's one people will fade. If it's Zay flowers, that, that will definitely be the first round receiver that you can get at like the two Oh six, you know? Oh yeah. So that, that is that Minnesota landing spot, I think is going to be a really good one. I think with Gibbs, man, he would definitely take all of Javante's receiving work. Cause that's, you know, what Gibbs is the best at is his receiving work. He kind of remind I don't, want to say he's going to put up these kind of numbers or even have this kind of career, but he could be like the Camara where he has, you know, he might only have 180 rushes, gets you maybe 700, 800 yards, but he could have 70, 80 catches, another 800 yards, and hopefully double-digit touchdowns. I think that's what Gibbs could be in that kind of an offense if they used him in like a Camara type of role. Yeah, Eric, I'm with you. I think um, if they could make that work, right, the Mark Ingram to Alvin Kamara type of backfield could be really beneficial for both those guys because people forget that, like, even back then, Mark Ingram was still catching passes, and and we've seen how much Russell Wilson's been dumping it down this season. But the problem is, is that offense was still very high-powered and scoring a ton of touchdowns. And so that's kind of where that comp sort of falls apart from the ceiling perspective and why it would be difficult because you can't look at this Denver Broncos offense this season and be like, yeah, I think it can be better next season. Well, it can't be worse, but it's how much better does it really look? Can it get to even league average on offense? And can they put up those points and those touchdowns? Because getting Javante back will be huge. Adding Gibbs will be massive. But how does that impact the weapons? They're going to get Tim Patrick back probably next season. They already have Jerry Judy, Cortland Sutton. How does that all come together? But I think for, I think Scott, to your point, that would probably hurt Javante a little bit more than Gibbs and may make Javante more of an more of a value than it does kind of hurt gives his stock overall yeah no i agree with all that it would be really good fit it and with javante's injury too and gibbs i don't think they want to run him up into the line 20 times a game i think they'd probably bring in a third running back maybe they even bring latavius back and just have him be there for the for the early year portion while javante gets his feet wet and gets back to full health you know as well i could see that yikes yeah, I'm here for that because the, the dynasty community would be they lose it, especially if they were to have Javante draft Gibbs and then still bring in like a third guy. They bring in a random like, yeah, they imagine they just know. bring back Latavius, right? Because he knows the system. He's been successful. Yeah. He can kind of be Javante until Javante comes back. I would they would not like that or they or they. Like they go even further and they, they bring in like Jamal Williams or someone like that. People are just like, Oh my God, you know? Cause I do think Eric's right. Like if they draft Gibbs, I don't think they immediately go, Hey, we're going to give Javante all the carries. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. They like can't early There's on. no way. Yeah. It's probably going to be like, they need a guy for a year to supplement what he can't give you. Cause he's coming off an injury. So it could just be, uh, you better hope that Russ in the offense turns it around. Otherwise, that could be a three-way right. clusterfuck on a shitty team, and you're going like, 
poor Jameer Gibbs, you know, please go somewhere else, you know? <laughs> right. All right. Well, I'm going to skip uh, the third portion that we were going to do here since we're almost on uh, two hours. Jay Rich's uh, threshold for us made us go two hours. <laughs> That's why I'm but here, now. baby. Yeah. Don't worry about it. All right. Jay Rich, you ready to play America's favorite game? I've actually been waiting about an hour and 55 minutes for this. So, yes, I'm very <laughs> excited to play America's favorite game. All right. So the one I came up with since we're pretty close to uh, the Christmas holiday here coming up. What is your favorite Christmas movie or holiday movie? Wow. Christmas movie or holiday movie. Yeah. Since you're the guest, Jay Rich, we'll let you go first. This is tough, man. I don't... <sighs> Man, my girlfriend's going to get on me. Thank God she's not going to listen to this. So we talked about this on the show, on, on the Wake Up Show. And she literally texted me because I said it was the Grinch. Because I really like Jim Carrey as the Grinch. And she's like, you're the Grinch because you don't even like Christmas. Like, well, okay, thanks. But, you're not getting a gift now. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so I'm not the biggest Christmas movie guy. Um, I'm not the biggest celebratory person in general, but I, I still think I'd probably go with the Grinch. You could go with home alone. Home alone's a great one, but I think Jim Carrey's Grinch is probably still one of my favorite holiday movies. I'm not going to say die hard because die hard's not a Christmas movie, even though everyone says that it is, it's not a Christmas movie. It's just not, it's not even really about Christmas in my opinion, but maybe you guys disagree. Maybe you guys are going to say die hard. Scott, where will you be with your favorite holiday movie? Yeah, this is one where we could probably go another 15 minutes on these, but I'm going to stick to two. Uh, the Home Alones are great. Like Those are always ones that I try to watch every year. Uh, I try to watch the Santa Claus movies every year. Those are ones that I think are underrated, but the problem is there's three of them, so I always have to watch all three. I can't just watch one. Now you got to watch the Disney Plus show that they just came out with. I, I know. They keep going. There's There's actually five Home Alones. And Home Alone 3 is actually what? really good. No one hates it. There's five Home Alones, Jay Rich. See, you don't even know. There's yeah, five Home Alones. I didn't Damn. even know about the four and five. Yeah, yeah when did they drop four and five? They, they just they, Disney They Plus scaled away down. I think four was a straight to DVD and yeah. five oh, was yeah. like it aired once on ABC Family or something like that. And that's it. <laughs> like we're not talking about the like one and two. They definitely scaled down. Like but Major there is League actually three five. that nobody knows about too. Well, Home Alone 3 is actually really good. So, yes, I mean, it that, is. That's, I agree. that's actually underrated. It doesn't have Macaulay Culkin, so people fade the fuck out of it, but it's good. Yeah. My two are these. Uh, the first one, Bad Santa, the first Bad Santa. Good, That's yeah. Billy Bob Thornton. Just that the crude humor in that. I mean, it it's the type of movie you watch now and you're like, man, that wouldn't fly on like Twitter in 2022. You know what I mean? But you could make that 15 years ago and people were just like, eh, okay, whatever. So Bad Santa. The other one that no one likes jingle all the way i love that one arnold schwarzenegger and sinbad where he chases the little toy that's what the whole movie is about is he has to find his kid the toy and he fights with arnold about it and it's also uh i think it's it's tom arnold plays the neighbor i believe no it's um what's uh, who plays the neighbor yeah he passed away he used to be yes snl yes um i forget the name but i know who you're talking about yeah the guy that plays the it's just it it's really you, you watch it when you're a kid and you're like, oh, this movie's awesome. You know what I mean? And then you watch it again as an adult. and You're like, wow, this movie's cheesy as hell. But I still watch it every year. Jingle all the way. I, I, I have to watch that one every single year. So that that one's definitely at the top. That and Bad Santa. Those are good choices. Yeah, Bad Santa. Yeah, those are good. When he's teaching the girl how to play pinball. That's great. <laughs> 
Uh, that movie's just awesome. I got I got to watch that one every year too. That's a good one. Um, yeah, Home Alone's awesome. Jingle all the way, awesome. I, I like all your guys' picks. I'm the I'm the one guy though. Die Hard and Lethal Weapon. Got to go with Die Hard and Lethal Weapon. Both Die Hards, Die Hard one and two. You can consider Christmas movies. Sell out. Yeah, you're such a solid, if, Eric. Give us a non-Die Hard Christmas nah, movie. It, my, if I had to pick two actual Christmas movies, Christmas Vacation is easy, number one for yeah, me. My mom loves that movie. We watch that thing every single year. Um, the Griswolds and all that. I, I literally say quotes for that movie at least once a week. She's a butte, Clark. Always use that one. I always use that meme. Um there's so many other ones from that one. Oh, Shitter's Full. I put that in the the work uh, at work in the uh, suggestion box. I just write like Shitter's Full and put it in there, <laughs> just to mess with people. Eric hates his company. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh man, another one that we haven't said yet. There's so many. Um, I know a lot of people really like Elf. Elf's not really that high on my list, but there's a lot of people who would say Elf is their favorite Christmas movie. Yeah, like you know, I, I've heard that a lot too. I've seen it a couple times. It, it's solid. Like uh, it's not one that like my go tos or anything. If um, I can go the holiday season and miss out on it, because I mean we don't we feel yeah. like we don't watch Christmas movies right. in March, right? If I can go like this twenty twenty five day window and not even sweat it, if I don't watch Elf, then right, I don't watch it. You know, like what are the ones where I have to like okay. December 19th, I'm free to watch Home Alone. You know what I mean? Like, there's a right. couple every year where I have to find a time to watch it. Other ones are like, eh, if I'm not sitting around and I don't feel like watching it, then I miss out this year. Oh, well, I'll watch it next year. That's how I am. Every every Christmas Eve, Die Hard is in, is in the Blu-ray player <laughs> watching it. I'm surprised they don't have a 24-7 uh, showing of that on, like, AMC or something like that, like they do for um... – oh, well, why am I blanking on the uh... – Christmas story. Christmas story, yes. Yeah. They show that 24-7 on TBS or TNT, whatever it is, every single year. Yep. Yeah, I can't really think of another one off the top of my head uh, for another Christmas movie, but no, I I always, I'm always the asshole that goes Die Hard and Lethal Weapon, and they're like, oh, what the hell? Those aren't Christmas movies. But hey, they take place during Christmas. Yep. Christmas movie. Damn it. <laughs> All right, guys. Marathon episode's over. Two hours. We made it. Jay Rich, you you got your wish, man. Got I got I got more in the tank. I'm surprised we're ending already, but I mean, it's your call. You're the host. I'm just a guest <laughs> on this rocket ship. Yeah, wait till our um, our 2023 destination Debbie draft episode. That's gonna be fun. That'll be oh, a good yeah. One. Oh yeah. yeah. Another thing too, Jay Rich. I figured I figured you as a guy that would sit back there on your bed with your with your TV there on the wall. You got the Hallmark Channel on, watching all the Christmas movies on the Hallmark Channel. No, no, that's not me. I mean, I could have no. set up on the bed. I forget that this is just going to be audio, or I could have just set up anywhere. I could have been in bed. I could have been. You could have showed us your sweet angles from the wake up show on Monday. <laughs> Yeah, not not my best effort, but you know, hopefully you just, we'll be back. You just kicked the cord out and it just messed it all up. Yeah, it wouldn't. My camera wouldn't reconnect, so it was just like, guess we're rolling <laughs> with the webcam today. Just nice. Fucking way the hell up here. <laughs> Disaster. Oh, Disaster. Funny. All right, guys. Well, Jay Rich, I appreciate having you on. Is there anything you want to plug or anything like that? Nah, man. Just you guys. You guys are awesome. Happy to be on the show. First time on. 
Uh, Got to come back for sure. Did Adam yeah. and Mike's pod last week on here this week. Got to talk to Gina tonight. Get on their pod. Just making the rounds, making sure you guys are doing a good job. You know, your show sheets are in check. You guys are organized. No, I'm just kidding, man. I just love <laughs> coming on, right. talking to you guys. Appreciate you both. Check out Destination Dynasty. Check out the Start Sit Show. And then just follow both these guys on Twitter. That's it, man. All about you guys here. Not about me at all. Well, no, I appreciate that. And, and we both appreciate the hell out of you as well. You know, you're the one that makes sure the episode goes up and everything's running smoothly on that. So, you know, we thank you a lot for that. And, you know, you and Ray, like Scott talks about all the time, just the opportunity to to do this show every single week for you guys and chat it up with you guys on the Heisman channel every single day. Basically, it's been awesome. So, no, we appreciate it. Yeah, I want to give Jay Rich a shout out for being the most versatile one. No joke. No right. joke. You, like, you can do that. everything behind the scenes. You can put together overlays. You can put together graphics. You produce all the shows. Man, then you can also I... jump on and get into the weeds and talk fucking Dynasty with the best of them. So, yeah. like, there's some versatility there that nobody else can do. So, I, I think you need to be recognized for, like, you probably wear – how many different hats do you wear with DD? Like, 20 different hats on a daily right. basis? I, mean, I got I to gotta give Ray some credit, right? It, it started off with me doing a little and slowly gives me more free reign to do more and more. And now it's to the point where we're teaching each other stuff. But um, it's funny you mention that because I'm going to have to connect with you. You you want a live stream scheduled? You want to get rolling? We got to make sure you're right for your first uh, Destination Dynasty live stream. You know, we made the overlay. No one's seen it. Um, I don't know if you've seen it, Eric, but it's I, I like it a lot. I'm pumped for it. But if there's anything else, definitely we gotta make sure that you're ready for that as well. Yep. Yep. I uh, think I probably have 80% of my setup the way that I want, but uh, just finding the right space, finding the right mic, all that kind of stuff. But no, yeah, you're you just wear you wear a lot of hats. You're versatile, man. Like when when yep. Eric was like, yeah, we're gonna have Jay Rich on, and we're just gonna talk about 2023 prospects. It's like, okay, cool. He can hang. You know what I mean? Like not everybody can jump on these shows and go down into the weeds and kind of understand the context of what we're talking about. So I just want to give you kudos and shout out to that. It's uh, you're definitely a keeper. Appreciate that for sure. All right. Well, I am at Eric Vanek NFL on Twitter, and you can also find the podcast at America's Game Pod on Twitter as well. So make sure you guys follow those. Subscribe to the Destination Devi on your podcasting app, whatever you you're using, just make sure you guys subscribe there. You get the show on there every single week. Uh, you'll get Scott's Monday show as well, Destination Dynasty. So Scott, any little preview you got for us this week on there? No, it's just going to be uh, another like off season prep show. Uh, things to do between now and the the start of the off season. Uh, I have a couple other things that are kind of jumped through my mind that I want to make sure I get out there before you know a lot of leagues lock around week seventeen. You know they they lock for the foreseeable future you know they're basically everything stagnant until february march until you know the league turns over to the next year or you have to clear your ir and all that kind of stuff so yeah just some off-season prep stuff and talk a little bit uh, i do want to talk a little bit about the 101 and its relative value i meant to talk about that last week but you know got a little bit in the weeds on the receivers so yeah just that and next week uh just a little preview for this show uh we talked about it last week but depth chart porn 2.0 it's coming next week. Another two, two hour, two and a half hour extravaganza next week. Can't wait. 
Yeah, that you think two hours is long. We could do five hours on that. So I don't know what the record is on this feed, Jay Rich, but I think next week's show may break it because we're literally going to go through <laughs> team by team and we're going to be talking. We might fucking... just have to just do the AFC only next week and then the NFC the week after or something. Hey, it's about content creation, right? We could probably break it up into conferences and make two podcasts out of it. So maybe we'll go that route. Yeah, I'm, I'm never going to say no to that. I remember the first time Eric sent me a two and a half hour episode. I was like, why didn't you just make it too? Like, but again, that's that's the game, right? Sometimes it's sometimes you want it all in one. Like even Scott, I thought about putting your roster construction series in just one massive pod. That's like five hours. And if you want to listen to the whole series, here it is. Right. Um, It, it goes both ways. However, you want to deliver the content, whatever works best for you guys. We, we obviously give you that flexibility and uh, however you want to do it, man, it's, it's, it's fine by me, but uh, yeah, I'm, I'm excited. You know, every, every time it's two hours, I get pumped up. So if it's two <laughs> hours, at least I'm good. I'm excited for that podcast. So definitely deliver it. However you guys want to. Yeah. Jay rich has the AirPods in. He's playing call of duty while he's listening to us. He's got it all set up, man, <laughs> man. We didn't even get into any call of duty talk. What the hell? I know, I know. Well, we kept it for the after hours part of the pod. That's yeah. okay. We'll talk about <laughs> talk about that later. You know, maybe maybe get into that a little bit. But I, I think the bigger thing here is that we gave them great information. That's all that matters. For great sure. information for, for sure. all the people. Yes, sir. All right. Well, I appreciate both of you guys very much. And uh, until next week, we will see you guys.